0: Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 206. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fuleman. Hi, everybody. How are you doing, Fooleman?
1: Not bad. Yourself?
0: I'm doing all right. Um, so today we have the first of what may be a three-parter in our <laughs> Around the League um, off-season series. So usually we do these in two parts, um, and each part is like two and a half hours long. We're going to try and split it up into three parts. One, because we hope it makes for like a better product if we do fewer teams. Um, And two, it also eases the load on us from a a prep perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyways, that's what we're going with. Uh, This is going to be a long one. So, you know, get strapped in, take the dog for a walk, you know, (laughs) get comfortable. (laughs) Uh, And let's begin with the Arizona Coyotes.
1: Yes. So starting with one of the league's least admired teams... The Arizona Coyotes had seventy points last year. They finished seventh in the Pacific, twenty um, seventh in the NHL, and missed the playoffs. This was actually an above expectations result for them.
0: Right, they were a team that was very committed to, you know, going for Connor Bedard last year, and they made a real good go of it. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, didn't succeed.
1: Yeah, that's tragic and too bad for them. Um, really, the difference was just that they were a little bit more competent. ...than they expected, and they got decent-ish goaltending for like half the year from Carol Vejmelka. They're still a very bad team, and they're going to be again, so spoiler alert. But they've made some changes that are as if they're doing an imitation of a real franchise. So we're going to talk about them a little bit. We'll start with the departures, though. Um, right-wing Christian Fisher. Uh, he signed as an unrestricted free agent with Detroit, one year at one point two five. Sorry, one point one two five million. He's an okay defensive forward by icelets and has ten to fifteen goal potential, but he also doesn't play that high up the lineup on a real team, or shouldn't. Uh, he was a mainstay of the Arizona penalty kill. The Arizona penalty kill was really bad. They were twenty seventh in the NHL, and he does not produce enough five v five. Like, he's in the Zach Aston Reese tier in terms of a per-minute production, so he should probably be on the fourth line in Detroit. Um, Zach Cassian used to be a decent physical bottom sixer, got super overpaid by the Oilers. He was bought out. He's probably done. Uh, Defenseman Patrick Nemeth got overpaid by the New York Rangers. He got bought out. He has gone to Europe. Uh, You may have noticed a trend here from the Arizona Coyotes taking up the detritus of other teams' bad contract signings.
0: Right. People are not lining up to sign Arizona Coyotes departures because they are a bad team. and The people who depart from, you know, that roster are usually pretty bad as well.
1: Yes, indeed. Um, the Coyotes didn't actually lose very many people in the summer. It is worth noting last year, as befits a team in a deep rebuild, they liquidated several of their assets. They traded Jacob Shikran, Shane Gossisbeer, Dyson Mayo, and Nick Bukestad, but then they brought Nick Bukestad back. So let's talk about additions and extensions out with the old in with the new. They signed Logan Cooley to an entry-level contract. So he was drafted third overall in 2022, and he is Arizona's best hope for a truly elite star player. And he matters more for the future of the franchise than anyone else. We're going to talk about in this segment.
0: Right. Lee Sands um, who paid attention to, to Matthew Nyes will be familiar with Cooley. Um, he was the center on Matthew nice's line and that line, I think the third member was Jimmy Snuggerud, which is just a phenomenal name. Uh, <laughs> he just
1: sounds so cuddly. I like it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Cooley is, as you would expect by his draft position, you know, the highest regarded of those three mm-hmm. players. And not that I watched a ton of, um, of NCAA, but when I did watch uh, and I was looking for an nice, Cooley really, really stood out mm-hmm. um, as, yeah, quite <laughs> quite impressive both visually and through the stats. So as you mentioned, like, Cooley being a star is basically kind of a prerequisite for Arizona's rebuild, this iteration of their rebuild to go well. Mm -hmm. We can talk about this a little bit later, but like Arizona has gone long on a few of their previously drafted players like Clayton Keller, um, Nick Schmaltz, and it's worked out relatively well. Those guys have blossomed into good players, Keller in particular, but I don't Mm -hmm. think either of those players are guys who can be the top two forwards on a truly elite team. Mm -hmm. Maybe Keller can, but...
1: Yeah, maybe. Keller, I think, is ideally positioned as the third best player on a true contender. Yeah. But, you know, we'll see how things develop. The point is they have a lot of pieces missing, as you would expect. Cooley is their best threat to become one of those core pieces. It would not be a shock to see him put up solid production, even as a 19-year-old, because Arizona really doesn't have a reason not to play him high. Right. Like, he's legitimately probably their second-line center on merit at this point, and what else are they doing that's so important?
0: Mm-hmm. I imagine he's not the favorite for it because Connor Bedard exists, but mm-hmm. I think Cooley has a real chance at the Calder. He is a year older than Bedard, which, you know, makes a pretty big difference. Mm-hmm. I, I could see him making a, a really strong run for it. We should have a pretty interesting Calder race this year.
1: Yes, it should be good. And the Coyotes are hoping that it will bode uh, future stardom. Um, moving on, Jason Zucker signed with the Coyotes one year, 5.3 million. He was a big addition for the Pittsburgh Penguins when he came over from Minnesota in 2020 as a solid defensive forward who could score. Um, injuries kind of got in the way of him living up to that billing. Uh, this season, he had a solid rebound year, 27 goals, 21 assists in 78 games, but he did spend virtually the whole season with Evgeny Malkin, who was better than any player who has ever played for the Arizona Coyotes <laughs> since they've gone to Arizona. Um, I guess that's more arguably true at this stage of Malkin's career, but in the long run, I don't even think it's questionable. So he will be going to a perhaps lesser situation. Um as with several of the deals that we're going to mention, uh, this has trade-out potential. It's one year. It does not appear to have any trade protection, although that might be updated later. Um, so they can certainly flip him in February, uh, right. as they and, want to do.
0: And yeah, that, that's kind of the, the MO for for Arizona. And you could say the same thing about Matt Dumba, who mm-hmm. they signed today for one year at $4 million.
1: Yes, thank you, Matt Dumba, for screwing up my prep that I did earlier this week by signing after it. Um Dumba was previously admired in Minnesota as like a physical defender with a big shot, which you know is what NHL GMs love. He's been superseded by Kaelin Addison on the Minnesota power play, and so he dropped down to fourteen points this year. His defensive results don't generally look that great. No. Um and, which is and, worrisome.
0: and yeah, especially in the in the context of Minnesota.
1: Yeah, who as a whole tend to look very good defensively. So I don't know what you're getting out of Matt Dumba at this point in time. He's 29, not 1,000. So there's every chance that they are going to play him like a billion minutes because as you will see, they don't really have anyone else on their defense. Um, So he's another candidate for kind of a pump and dump where he mm-hmm. puts up production in heavy minutes, gets dealt at the deadline. The uh, John Klingenberg special. As Arvin called it in our prep.
0: Yes, um, there's also a familiar face in Arizona, uh, an Alex Kerfoot, who signed a two-year, three and a half million dollar AAV deal. So, mm. I mean, everyone here knows what Kerfoot's about. Um, he's he's a competent NHL player, <laughs> which is more than can be said of a lot of Arizona players. Mm. So, yeah, I think I think he'll help. He'll help them out. He'll he'll provide some level of you know someone to pass to who can make a play and won't completely fuck things up, you know, at every opportunity, so.
1: Yeah, we're going to be talking about this concept a little bit in the context of Arizona and Anaheim and Chicago, who are three of the worst teams. Um, It might actually come up with Columbus too. Um, Guys who are just competent NHL players can make a difference when they're replacing guys who are not. And Arizona had a very, very thin roster last year. So Kerfoot would have been one of the better players on it. Even though he's no world beater, he's not going to make them a playoff team. Um, He's going to play a reasonable number of minutes for them. And he's helping their forward group look sort of like a respectable franchise, even though they're still bad. Um, Nick Bukestad apparently enjoyed his time with the Arizona Coyotes. He came there last year on a reclamation project. He... Reclaimed, so to speak, he got 13 goals by the trade deadline, which was good for him. He got flipped to uh, to Edmonton, um, and played there through the playoffs, and then went right back to Arizona for two years at 2.1 million. He's huge, six and a half feet tall. He has respectable defensive results. Um, before last season, he had a lot of injuries, and he nearly fell out of the league. So this could end very quickly like by the end of this contract we could be talking about him that we're talking about Zach Cassian. But as long as the checks don't bounce, Arizona can do whatever they want, so sure. Um maybe a little bit more interesting is Matthias Michelli, who you probably haven't heard too much about, mm-hmm. unless you play you pay closer attention to the Coyotes than I do. Um he had forty nine points in sixty four games last season. Uh he's only twenty two and he signed an extension for three years at 3.425, and the numbers nerds were instantly saying, this looks like a really good extension.
0: Yeah, he was a rookie last year to, uh, for some context as well.
1: Yeah, that was his first season uh, with significant NHL time. Um, he seems to have had a lot of fun playing with Lawson Kraus, who is like a big, sort of big power forward type. He assisted Kraus 12 times in the course of Kraus, putting up a career-high 24-goal season. Uh, that seems like some natural synergy there. Um He is a smallish winger, so naturally the advanced stats like his defense better than perhaps the scouts do. But that seems fine to me. Um, The Michelli-Kraus combo might do well for the Coyotes to support, say, Barrett-Hayden or Logan Cooley on the wings. And it might be the beginning of a respectable second line.
0: Right i mean th- this is yeah an interesting deal for the coyotes it-, it seems like they could actually capture some value here one of the downsides of that i guess from their perspective is like okay cool you're capturing all this great value when like you suck doesn't really matter mm-hmm. um but you know still like, if-, if they want to be respectable in a couple years having someone like Michele, if he assuming he's not like a total mirage you know it- it- it's not difficult for him to up to this deal this is pretty mid-tier money
1: yeah exactly Um, so yeah, good. That might be a name you actually hear more about (laughs) in the future, but we'll see. Uh, they extended forward Jack McBain for two years at an obnoxious 1.599999, some sequence of nines, million. It's 1.6 million, but they knocked one penny off it for reasons still at large. It is so easy to make jokes about how cheap the Coyotes are that I feel like I can't even do it here. It's a bit... Fish in a rain barrel. But uh yeah, anyway, he's a b- bottom six forward who can score a little at least twenty-three, probably not super major. Um, they traded a 2024 second round pick to the Kings for Sean Dersey. Former relief land. Yeah,
0: former Leaf or Leaf adjacent. I don't know if he ever played a game for us. I don't think he did.
1: No, he was a second-round pick for Toronto in 2018, and then he was traded to Los Angeles in the Jake Muzzin deal. He's blossomed into a productive offensive defenseman holding down second unit power play time on L.A. Um, And he put up nine goals and 38 points last year, which is certainly respectable production. Isolates hate him. Yeah, (laughs) I've seen people who
0: watch um, the Kings and Dursey more than I do essentially say that like if Dursey played in Toronto, he would be pilloried because he's like genuinely really bad defensively.
1: Yeah, so um, that's a little bit iffy. Until about an hour ago, he was the highest paid defenseman on the Arizona Coyotes defense group at $1.7 million a year, which was staggering. Um, Matt Dumba has now superseded him and will probably take some of that power play time away from him. So Jersey might be jumped, jumped down to PP2. He's still one of the more established names on a very anonymous defense group. Um, as mentioned, you know, they unloaded Chikrin and Gostis beer l- last season. So it's a really thin group. Um, they signed Alex Galchenyuk uh, and then terminated his contract for material breach because uh, Galchenyuk had an impaired driving incident where he also threatened some police officers. Uh, they extended Troy Stetcher for a year at a million, whatever. They signed Travis Dermott for a year at 800K. That's just interesting because if, if you are wondering where Travis Dermott now is, he's in Arizona. Um, just some other notes about the Coyotes. Um, Barrett Hayton has been a little bit of a punchline because the Coyotes were perceived as reaching to take him fifth overall in 2018.
0: Yeah, he, I think he was like projected mid-lottery or like late lottery.
1: Mm-hmm. Like they probably went about 10 points higher for the sake of getting a center in a draft that was perceived as thinning out at center at that point. Um, he had a pretty respectable year by advanced stats and he put up 43 points, which is not terrible. So it's not that hard for me to envision a future where he is like the anchor of a decent second line. And if you really squint and are optimistic, you can see a future where Cooley and Hayton form a one-two that is respectable. Um, yeah, so Arizona's forward group is still bad, but it looks like an imitation of a real team now. I could see them being like in the low twenties in goals per game, you know, which is still bad, but it's like not you're in another universe. Um, the defense looks very poor.
0: <laughs> it it does. Um, just a quick note on mm-hmm. on Hayton. Uh, mm-hmm. so Hayton was picked fifth uh, immediately before Philip Sedina, who. Uh, had, was projected to go much higher than that, and was kind of considered to be a draft steal by the Red Wings when it when the draft happened, as we'll mm-hmm. cover when we talk about Detroit later. Uh, did not turn out to be the case, but most notably, Hayton was drafted over guys like Quinn Hughes, uh, Evan Bouchard, kind of just to, just to name a couple.
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, probably noteworthy that those are both defensemen. Mm-hmm. Again, the Coyotes really wanted the center, and so they took Hayton.
0: Yeah, as you said, that was a kind of weak center draft like uh the next center taken was i think ty dellandrea who who i think has been okay in dallas but i can't say i'm an expert
1: on uh yeah. on him and it's not like the kind of name where you're like oh wow that guy was clearly in another tier which is what i would say about quinn hughes <laughs> right
0: yeah uh, so yeah the, the coyotes are an interesting team now because they don't really have many bad contracts right um and i guess in a sense this is maybe damning with faint praise because mm-hmm. like they they shouldn't have bad contracts. They haven't been trying to
1: win. No, they have not. Um, I actually I do want to add something. They don't have bad contracts for players who are still
0: active. That's true. Yeah, they have. Yeah. They have like you know probably Chris Pronger still on their on their roster somehow or Pavel Datsuk is.
1: <laughs> they are they are paying. Um, let me just confirm here: twenty one million dollars to three guys who are very unlikely to play again. I mean, Voracek, I think, is done. Weber and Little are done. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, this Weber's deal goes for three more years. So, I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens there. Um, again, if, as long as it's permanently LTIR'd and they're not concerned with being a cap team or anything like that, it has no impact, mm-hmm. which is why they were willing to take it. But it's just something to think about for the future where they may eventually aspire to be good.
0: Right, because mm-hmm. the big problem with the Coyotes, and this will sound kind of facile, but I actually mean it sincerely, they just do not have enough good players. They're not paying bad players too much. Like, all their bad players are on, like, palatable deals, and they have some good ones now as well. Like, Hayton's mm-hmm. probably a value deal. Keller and Schmaltz are pretty decent deals. Um Michelli, as we covered. Kuli's uh, on an ELC. He'll be at great value. And once he's an RFA, and his name isn't Mitch Marner, he'll be great value after that, too. Um... <laughs> But they just don't have enough talent. yeah. And they're not going to get enough talent until they start, you know, paying actual money for people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one hopes, you know, for for the fan base there that that comes sooner rather than later. But they're not like a serious team until that happens. They can get yeah. to the realm of like, oh, spooky. Maybe they they become a bubble team while, you know, being really, really cheap. You can do that. Mm-hmm. But it's very hard to be an elite team while being very, very cheap.
1: Yeah. Uh, One way to look at this, the actual roster of players that Arizona is going to play totals a cost of something like $55 million in a league where the salary cap is 83, um, give or take. And it's like, they actually, as you said, are not spending money inefficiently at this point in time. They're just not spending very much money. They're spending like below the salary floor and then they're getting above it with these permanently injured contracts. Well, it's like, yeah, they're about, you know, two thirds as good as a real team. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I would say like they're doing things that I can understand, but the overhanging issues of, are we a real team? What is going to happen? Are we going to be relocated? And is anyone eventually going to spend to make this a roster worth taking seriously? Those are all still very much open questions. They will not be answered by anything on the ice this season.
0: Pretty much. Uh, If you're the Coyotes or a Coyotes fan this year, I think basically all you want to see is Logan Cooley showing signs of being a truly elite player.
1: Yes. A 60-point Logan Cooley season Mm -hmm. is everything you can hope for because this team, to make the playoffs, would need the most insane goalie run of all time. (laughs) Um. Okay, the Anaheim Ducks, a team that somehow finished even worse than the Arizona Coyotes. Very sad. 58 points, 8th in the Pacific, 32nd in the NHL, and predictably they missed the playoffs with those results. Um, Who left? Kevin Shattenkirk. He's still usable as like a third pair guy who can play the second unit on the power play and the penalty kill. Um, Or at least he did last year. For Anaheim, but they stank at it. So it's a bit like maybe the fact that he can, doesn't mean that he should. Um, Anaheim can certainly afford to lose him. Maxime Comtois is a physical bottom sixer. He's still an unrestricted free agent. He may be under a cloud due to the 2018 world junior scandal. I'm not saying I know one way or the other, how he's implicated. I'm just observing that he's unsigned. Um, head coach Dallas Eakins, was fired, whatever he was doing was not working. I guess is the simplest way to put it. I'm not going to claim a great analysis of his coaching tactics.
0: Yeah, I mean, he he hasn't built up a great NHL track record at this point.
1: Yeah, I kind of wonder, like, what's the next contract going to be for Dallas Eakins? Yeah. You know, assistant coach somewhere else maybe, but... Yeah, anyway. um, Who did they add or extend? Well, similar to the Coyotes... The big deal is the draft picks. They drafted center Leo Carlson second overall and signed him to an ELC. He is a big game-controlling playmaking center. That's an archetype that has served the Ducks well with Mm -hmm. Ryan Getzlaff. Needless to say, they would be thrilled if Carlson wound up close to that tier. Um, Expectations should be modest for any 18-year-old in the NHL if that's where he plays. Um, But he's been playing against pros in the SHL. Um, for two years now and he's still he is tall so he's not going to be bullied around too hard because of his size we'll see how it goes um, if they do bring him in now then it's just sort of the get your feet wet season I think
0: yeah Carlson was picked over Adam Fantilli who had a very very strong year for Michigan at the NCAA <clears throat> I'm not going to pretend to know if this was like you know a good pick or a bad pick but I think Fantilli and Carlson are going to be linked throughout their careers because of this
1: yes uh, much to think about there. Um, the Ducks did something else that I found fascinating. They signed Alex Kaloran for four years at $6.25 million. I think that's a bad deal. Yeah,
0: I mean, <laughs> it, it's... I guess the, the defense of it is, like, what's Anaheim doing with their cap space otherwise?
1: Mm-hmm. But... To make that defense, you also have to say, what are they doing with it in the next four years? Yeah. Which I think is more of a question. Right. Um. I w- So let's look at it and see why I'm saying this. He's about to turn 34 next month. He's still a good player now, and he's coming off career highs in goals, 27, and points 64. He is also, not coincidentally, coming off a career high in on-ice shooting percentage, so look for that not to happen again. He played with Steven Stamkos and uh, Anthony Cirelli more than anyone else last year, although he moved around the lineup a bit. He's typically kind of a deferential forward. That may change now that he's not playing with Steven Stamkos because Stamkos should be doing the shooting on any line he's on. Um, and he can chip in on the, on the penalty kill. But I think they just paid him coming off a career year that he's not going to repeat.
0: Right. And I, I guess like, I also think it's term, not dollars here.
1: Yeah, that's what gets me. If this is like a two-year deal, no one cares. Um, If they were a contender trying to hold their window open, like basically if they were in Pittsburgh's position, I would be iffy, but I would get it. You know, I would say, okay, you're all in now. You've got to make aggressive moves and you can accept the downside risk is going to be ugly because you're not going to be that good anyway. Um, Anaheim is bad now and is hoping to be good later. So the timeline is a little bit backwards for them. Um, again, now that said, they're like, they're barely spending anything as it is. Like they still have to resolve a contract for Trevor Zegres, but they're under the floor at the moment. So it's like, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that's iffy one caveat there evolving hockey does contract projections. They are very good and they are guessing what will happen, not what should happen, but they suggested that Kaloran would get 6.1 million on a four year deal. So, if this is a bad deal, it's bad in line with what the NHL does. Uh, Radko Gudas, who spurned the Toronto Maple Leafs, very hurtful and sad. Mm. Took a three-year deal at $4 million per. Um, he's still a strong defensive defender with a mean streak. You probably saw him in the playoffs playing for the Florida Panthers. He's 33 now, and he was not playing tough competition last year. Um... Yeah. Anaheim was so awful defensively last year that there's an argument they should just get guys to not be embarrassing.
0: Yeah. I mean, it sort of depends on what they want to do this season as well, right? Because, like, they... If they want to start the road back up to relevancy, yeah, like, you know, getting someone like Kaloran and Gudis, they're just competent guys. Mm -hmm. Neither of them are, you know, on the right side of the age cycle, but if you just want them to help insulate people like Carlson to help, um, you know, Zegris and Jamie Drozdo and Troy Terry have actual people to play with. I, yeah. I sort of get that, right? And it seems like that's what they're going for. They're not going for, like, another full-scale, like, oh, we're going to be the worst team in the league and get, you know, whoever the top pick is this year.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, you can see the rationale there. Again, if this is a team that cares about what its cap is going to look like in two or three years... Maybe you start to question it, but I get it. Um, They extended Troy Terry. Seven years at 7 million. He's Anaheim's best offensive winger at present. And he's coming off 61 and 67 point seasons. He's about to turn 26. Uh, He's sort of an all-around offensive creator. Drives play, makes passes, scores. I don't know if he's going to score 37 goals again, like he did in his peak year, which was 21-22. But I like this deal just fine from Anaheim's perspective. And if the cap rises as projected... I would expect this deal to be positive value basically the whole time. So yeah, no complaints there. Um, also like he did this with the team around him, not being that great. Um, you know, we played a lot of time with Trevor Zigras and Adam Henrique, but like, that's not a plum situation. Mm-hmm. So you can envision that improving. Um, they signed Robert Hag one year at 775 K Third pair guy who looked okay when healthy and sheltered usage. Maybe he'll help. Maybe he won't, but it doesn't matter. And they got a new head coach in Greg Cronin. I do not know a lot about what Greg Cronin will bring. I will note that he used to uh, work for the Leafs organization um, about a decade ago. But again, it would be hard for them to be worse than they were last year.
0: Right. And I actually think like a point of optimism for this team, you know, so all of their players and all of their contracts look like shit right now because everyone on this team kind of sucked last year. Mm -hmm. Like, there were very few actual play drivers on this team because this team had horrific defensive zone results with everyone on the roster. Mm -hmm. Um, But we've seen before that going from a bad coach to a good coach can kind of lift the tide and with it lift, like, kind of all the players on a roster, right? Carlisle to Babcock was a big change. Tippett to Woodcroft. Uh, Edmonton's depth players started suddenly getting, like, actually okay results.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I wonder if Eakins to Cronin can result in the same thing, and then we might be looking at this roster kind of differently.
1: That's very possible. And, you know, last year when we did this survey, we talked about Arizona. We said they're going to be terrible. They were terrible. We talked about Chicago. We said they were going to be terrible. They were terrible. We talked about Anaheim, and we said they're going to be bad. But we did not have them in the abjectly terrible class that they wound up in. So yeah, I think you can say that they really underperformed low expectations and you might hope for a rebound, um, even independent of the coaching change, but also because of the coaching change. Um, an interesting question for Anaheim is Trevor Zigguras. Now it's an immediate question because they have to sign him. They will succeed in doing that, I am sure. Offer sheets aren't real. Um, Is he a franchise player or is he just a very good player? I feel like is the question there.
0: Right. There's like a chance that Zegris is more exciting that he is good.
1: Yes. He's had a couple of highlights that have burned their way into everyone's memory. Um, He led the team in scoring last year with 65 points, but 65 points would have put you 66th amongst NHL forwards last year. That's not build a franchise around me good.
0: Right, and again, like the caveat is, it's not as if he's playing with elite players, right? You, you, you can right. make an argument similar to like Clayton Keller here, mm-hmm. but Zeus is also not as young as I think people think. Like he's twenty-two, so th- that yeah. is still young. But you can still expect improvement, but you know, as the years go along, rapid, rapid, and really steep improvement is less and less likely. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, I, I guess we're. we're we're often used to this way of thinking being Leafs fans, but the idea, if the idea is to build a contender, you need truly elite players, like Mm -hmm. players who are top 10 in their position in the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's very, very hard to be a top 10 player.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, right now Anaheim doesn't have any, like that's just the brutal reality. Um, If Zygras gets there, This is a very different situation. If Carlson gets there, it's a very different situation. If Carlson and Zagras and Drysdale all get there, then we're looking at the core of a true contender in a few years. But taking it back around to Zagras, I think undeniably he's a very good player. And it's yeah, it's going to be hard for them to have a bad contract here. But definitely a question for the franchise in general is what tier does he end up in?
0: Yeah. And maybe I'm being overly reductive by saying like, you need like a top 10 guy. Cause like you could argue Vegas doesn't have a top 10 forward, right? Like maybe healthy Mark Stone cracks there. Yeah. He did, you know, earlier Carolina probably doesn't either. Um, so th- there are exceptions. It is possible to build contenders with like really, really with a bunch of really, really great players as opposed to some absolutely elite ones. But, mm-hmm. you know, even getting into that tier, like Mark Stone and Jack Eichel at their peaks were, you know, that class of yeah. player and keep uh, florida even has like matthew kachuk who's been playing like a top five forward the last couple of years
1: yeah uh yeah i think it's certainly questionable it's like you can make up for it mm-hmm. if you're really stacked in the next year down i guess is the way i would put it anaheim isn't that either they're a very bad team um and we're gonna see this year if they show signs of progress if carlson does play in the nhl this year and has a great year and Zagros has a great year and Drysdale has a great year and McTavish has a great year and John Gibson has his first good season in five years. I still think this team misses the playoffs, but at least it'll be more interesting. So I guess that's positive. You know, there were not a lot of positives in Anaheim last season. This was an awful team. So nowhere to go but up, I guess. The Boston Bruins. So the Boston Bruins, you might remember, had 135 points last year. They finished first in the Atlantic and first in the NHL. And they lost in round one to the Florida Panthers.
0: Wow, that must have been really disappointing for them.
1: You You know, I bet it was.
0: You have to wonder if this team has what it takes.
1: When a team does that well and pads its stats to that extent in the regular season, which doesn't matter, and then flops in the playoffs, which do matter... I think you have to ask very fundamental questions about everyone associated with that franchise and also the city of Boston, Mm -hmm. which I think raised these losers. Um, So Departures, Patrice Bergeron has retired.
0: Couldn't live with the shame of of Uh, losing to the Florida Panthers.
1: You know what? And who can blame him?
0: What what type of joke team loses to the Florida Panthers?
1: (laughs) Uh, We were having so much fun, but the joke always ends up on us in the end. eh? Uh, But Bergeron's gone. Ding dong. The witch is dead. Um, Bergeron is, like, probably the best defensive center in the history of the sport, I would say.
0: And still very, very good.
1: Yeah, and, like, he was good right to the end. Like, he's going out as an exceptional player who just won the Selkie again. Um.
0: And if he played next year, he would be the, the preseason betting favorite for the Selkie.
1: Yeah, and you, we would be like, like, if this segment had to be done in a world where he wasn't retiring, we would be like, well, he has to get old sometime, but it hasn't happened yet. So. Right. I, I, yeah.
0: I think the, the biggest thing we're losing with Patrice Bergeron going away is our recurring segment of, well, so when you play the Bruins, you have to hope that you play the Bergeron line even, and then you win it in the depth. And that, that statement is now less applicable.
1: How many times do you think we've done that segment in the history of this podcast? It's like at least 10.
0: Yeah, my, my guess would be 15 or so is yeah. how many times we've said that.
1: Oh, I am not going to miss having to do that. Um, so he's gone. And the Bruins cannot replace him. That's no. a function of his exceptional quality. He's not replaceable. Um, all you can do is substitute as best you can.
0: Well, and also, um, not only was he, you know, a Selkie, a deserved Selkie winner last year, mm-hmm. he was making very, very little money. He was making far less money than he is worth. So when he retires or leaves, like, you do not get a bunch of cap space really to replace him. You, like You can't replace him for the same cap space. Right? It's, just, no. it's fundamentally impossible. He probably had one of the highest value deals in the league last year. It's like him or Joe Pavelski.
1: Yeah, no, it was obscene. And furthermore, not only can you not replace him for the same cap space, but the Bruins, logically enough, went all in last season and they structured their contracts for Bergeron and for David Krejci, um to favor bonuses. And, Everyone kind of knew the bonuses were probably going to happen, and they did. And so now the bonuses, bonus overages, excuse me, roll over into this season and cut their cap space now. So they've really suffered a reduction in their freedom of action.
0: At least they had a really successful playoff run.
1: At least they had a great playoff run where they lost in round one to the Florida Panthers. Did we mention that? I'm worried we underemphasized it. Anyway, he's gone. David Krejci sounds like he's gone. Everyone seems to expect it. It's not official. So I'm not crowing too hard. Um, He's at 37. He already went back to Europe once and then came back and was because it's the Bruins still good. Um, He put up 56 points in 70 games last season. His isolates were not great, but they were in the context of a team that was, uh, we can now acknowledge kind of killing it every single night. So (laughs) I think it was fine, but Boston is now losing its top two centers. That's a very hard loss to recover from, and they haven't really done it. Um, And the hits just keep on coming. Because of their cap pressures, they dealt forward Taylor Hall and forward Nick Foligno to the Chicago Blackhawks for defensemen Ian Mitchell and Alec Regula. Um, Those two guys are AHL defensemen. You probably won't have to worry about them again. And Foligno was expiring, although Chicago did extend him. Uh, So really, this is a straight cap dump of Hall's $6 AV. AAV with two years left. Um, Hull is not what he once was. And aside from one really, really great year in New Jersey, he's never really been a finisher. So he's never had the huge totals that his talent would seem to suggest, except that one year. But he's a very good player. And I think they're certainly going to miss him. Um, I figured Nick Foligno was washed, to be honest, after his miserable showing in a short cameo with the Leafs. Um, But he had a decent season for Boston last year, and he's still a good defensive forward. And he's also gone. Um, (laughs) This segment is a long one because a lot of people have left the Boston Bruins. Tyler Bertuzzi, one year at 5.25 to the Toronto Maple Leafs. We talked about him enough in our last segment. He was a deadline ad. But yeah, the Leafs got him, and we're glad to have him, and that Boston doesn't. Dmitri Orlov, another deadline ad when it made it look like the Bruins were going to have the best defense imaginable. He took two years at seven point seven five with the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, yeah, he's another loss for them, even though they do have a strong defense group. Like they can afford to lose Orlov, I guess. Um, Garnet Hathaway, a gritty bottom sixer who came over with Orlov. He took two years at two point three seven five million from Philly. That's a little rich.
0: I think he, Hathaway has, like, really good play driving history, though.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it, true. The thing yeah. is, it,
0: it, it is still, like... I think sometimes it's easy to forget from a very, like, stats-heavy stats, mm-hmm. um, stats heavy point of view. Like, you do ultimately need to score goals, mm-hmm. right? You need to ha- put the puck in the net. Um, and sure. Hathaway doesn't do that. And, like, he, you know, probably has a low effect on his own shoot uh, on. Yeah, his own shooting probably isn't very good. He probably isn't a great passer. Um, but... He's like a respectable bottom sixer, I think.
1: Yeah. Like he's like they're not better without him. Let's yeah. Put it that way. Yeah. He's clearly um, he's
0: clearly like a useful player.
1: Yeah. Even if he's in that kind of 10, 10, 20 tier where it's like you produce enough that it's like okay, but it's not significant. Um Connor Clifton took three years at 3.33 from the Buffalo Sabres. He's kind of a mobile lower pair defenseman. I don't love that money for him. Unless his on-ice results in Boston were a whole lot more based on him than I think they were. But that's debatable. Mm-hmm. I won't say for sure that I'm right about this one for sure. So, yeah, he did well enough in the role that he got. We'll see how they do without him. And finally, they bought out Mike Riley, who is actually probably like a NHL caliber 6 defenseman. Because they were so stacked last year, they were playing him in the AHL. Whew, that is a lot of people leaving the Boston Bruins. So what did they do? Uh, They signed Morgan Geeky, two years at 2 million. That's a fun name. I like that. Uh, He's a just-okay offensive center who seems to get destroyed defensively. I'm sure he'll look better on Boston, who should still be a good defensive team. But the Kraken looked respectable defensively last year, and Geeky had two really ugly red splotches in the crease and the high slot on his chances against chart. That feels like a bad sign for a center. Um, also, his career high in points was last year, and it was 28 and 69 games, so he's not, like, blowing the doors off either. Um, because the Bruins are now so thin at center, he may be in line for a hell of an opportunity.
0: Yeah. Like, their number one center, Like if you just look at their roster, IEV, it looks like it's Pavel Zaka.
1: Yes. who was playing wing for them last year, and... I think is very questionable in a 1C role, but that's who they got. Um, they signed old friend James Van Riemsdijk, uh one year at 1 million. JVR has been in decline in recent years because injuries have sapped his effectiveness and it, they've cost him 15 games most of the last few years. Um, he still knows where to stand and to get goals and he can still play net front on a power play. For a capped out team that just lost a ton of forward strength, this makes a lot of sense. I don't know if it's going to work out, but it, like, it's absolutely the kind of gam- gamble that Boston has to take. Um, Milan Lucic would also seem to present limited downside risk because he took one by one too. But the downside is that they'll play him, I guess. <laughs> like he his isolates are terrible now. He hasn't hit 25 points in the last five seasons um maybe he'll get some of his mojo back by being in boston again and i don't know revving up the whole ethic of the team with his grit and stuff i hope not i hope he, this is just like a mess
0: this sort of just seems like a you know appeasing the fans in some ways uh, yeah. <laughs> transaction so
1: like we don't know what else to do so we're doing this
0: mm-hmm. and the cost is like very minimal it's, yeah know, Like what... if
1: this goes wrong like you know, what's the worst that happens, right? He's a healthy scratch later in the year. Right. Um, They extended RFA, Trent Frederick, two years at 2.3 million. He's a solid physical B6 forward who broke out a little bit last year with 17 goals and 14 assists. Um, He's nominally a center. He seems to mostly play wing, but again, Boston will probably be cycling through some guys as they try to find out who on their roster is a legitimate center. So he may get opportunities. This is a fine contract, even if he's just a third liner. And finally, uh, they took uh, their 1B goalie, Jeremy Swayman, to arbitration. And he got an award of one year at $3.475 million. That's perfectly fine. And the deal expires RFA, so they have a bit more runway before they have to choose which goalie they're going to run with. Yeah, no objections there. Mm-hmm. I guess my my bottom line on the Bruins is that they are certainly worse. I don't think they're totally dead. I don't think this is now an awful team.
0: Yeah, I mean so they got like a heck of a lot <laughs> worse, but they also started from the position of the best NHL regular season team in modern history.
1: Yeah. Like if you assume that they are 40 points worse, which is a huge decline. Like that's the difference between Toronto and like a bottom five team give or take um they still probably make the playoffs they have a lot of cushion even granted last year was everything going right for them until everything went wrong for them so yeah i I wouldn't be surprised if this is a good defensive team that scores just enough
0: yeah i I think one thing that'll be very interesting is like this is this team is a bit of the inverse of anaheim where pretty much all their a lot of their contracts look good Mm -hmm. um because they've been like a very good team for a long time, but how was Bergeron and his you know elite level of of play driving while facing very very tough usage? Was that sheltering their roster from? Yeah, was that sheltering their roster in such a way that will be hard to account for through the you know standard statistical models, and that will show up this year by having to play like Pavel Saka and Charlie Coyle in bigger roles than they should be. Right? Will we view everyone as like a little bit worse than we thought they were because now they don't have that huge sponge that's, you know, the linchpin of everything? I don't really know the answer to that. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see. My initial thought is quite similar to yours. They still have enough talent that they're going to be at the very least respectable and possibly like a comfortable playoff team. Mm -hmm. if they were in an easier division, I'd feel even stronger about that, but they still have some very, very good players and some very, very good contracts like Charlie McAvoy, David Pasternak and Hampus Lindholm Mm -hmm. are all on, you know, kind of getting extreme value deals. And yeah, like that's, a very good base to start from. Lindholm in particular, we were a little critical of that contract when it was signed because we're like, mm-hmm. this seems sort of unnecessary. You're already a great defensive team. You're getting a guy whose results have fallen off a little bit, you know, from his from his prime where he was one of the best and most underrated defensemen in the league in Anaheim.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But, you know, they got a Norris quality <laughs> season out of him last year. Right. Yeah. And, and again, this, this goes to show that the context really does matter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Lindholm being able to keep that up is, like, quite important for them because they do have him signed for another seven years, and those seven years extend, I think, pretty deep into his 30s.
1: Yeah, he's 29 now, and his contract runs until 2030. So that's a long deal. Yes. Um. But, yeah, they can still build a defense group around McAvoy, Lindholm, and Brandon Carlo. Well, those are all good defensemen. Mm-hmm. I Like, I think this is probably going to work. So, yeah... Um, I think they are a playoff team. If you want to kind of judge in your mind, do you still think so? A good litmus test might be, do you think that they're better than the Buffalo Sabres? Who are the team that would most like to take their spot, I guess. Who were knocking on the door last season, as a matter of fact. They finished with 91 points. Fifth in the Atlantic. They were one point behind Florida. Which kind of stings. Uh, They were 20th in the NHL overall, and they missed the playoffs. Um, Departures. The only significant player they lost was goalie Craig Anderson, who is probably retired because he's 42 years old. Um, he actually still looked like a passable backup last season, believe it or not. So it's not impossible. He latches on as like a 2-3 goalie somewhere. But I think Buffalo had had enough of him because they have three other goalies to juggle right now.
0: Yeah, and Buffalo kind of needs goaltending. That was... Yeah. I mean, their defense was, in general, an Achilles heel of theirs last year. They were very, very strong mm-hmm. offensively. Um, but, yeah, like their, their goaltending didn't get, do them much, many favors.
1: Yeah. You know, what's that saying? If you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks? If you have three goalies, you might have no goalies. And that's one of the questions that's overhanging a young and very exciting Sabres team. Um, yeah, as noted, they blew the doors off offensively last year. They scored a lot. Scored more than Toronto did. So, the question is just, can they get better defensively and in net enough to make that tell? Um, let's look at how they tried to go about it. So, I mentioned Connor Clifton, left the Boston Bruins, signed with the Buffalo Sabres. As I said, I'm not sold on this because he seems like a classic third-pair guy.
0: Yeah, the Isle of shelter third-pair defenseman.
1: Exactly. And Boston's isolates as a team. Like, well, every, like everyone on Boston... Tended to look pretty good last year, partly because they were really good as a team. So it's very possible Clifton is earning that by contributing to that team. I'm just saying, I'm not sure that that's going to travel from one of the best defensive teams in hockey to what was last year one of the worst. Um, at the price they're paying him, three years at 3.33, he probably needs to be a four-five type defenseman,
0: a Justin Hall type.
1: Exactly, a Justin Hall type defenseman. Um, if he forms a good pairing with Owen Power, that's an instant win for them. Because they've got their top three defensemen kind of set. Like Rasmus Delin, uh had a great season last year playing right side to Mattias Samuelsson. And now they've got Owen Power on the way up, probably anchoring a second pairing on the left side. So I would imagine Clifton is going to get some run there, and we'll see if he fits.
0: And I think in general... Um, the Sabres, if they're able to get some consistently good pairings out of Darlene and guy and power and guy, mm-hmm. that is a tremendously, tremendously valuable thing because it lets them do kind of what Victor Hedman's been doing in Tampa for a long time mm-hmm. where, you know, he plays with this guy. You're like that guy's Victor Hedman's partner, mm-hmm. you know, um, but he carries them to strong results and then you can double up power and, and um, Darlene together when you, really need to go power where you have like very high leverage situations.
1: Yeah. Um, it's a wonderful trick if you can get to pull it off. Um, obviously a very high bar to have Victor Hedman because he's very hard to imitate, but Dallin has been coming into his own as a great offensive defenseman. Power, very well thought of. Mm-hmm. Um, power is going to be a problem. Like he. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm worried frankly, about power.
0: Yeah. Power is one of those guys. I think when he was drafted, so he was drafted first overall, and it was considered like a kind of weakish class. Um, yeah. Power didn't have, I think, great numbers, uh, but his measurables were just like kind of off the charts. He's six six, I think, and like moves brilliantly. When you watch him, he's he's a very striking player. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I th- I think I think he's going to be very good.
1: So. Yes, I I would agree with that. Um, you know, I was low on this deal. As usual with our Sabres segments, uh, I consulted friend of the podcast, Sabres Kevin, and he was a little higher on Clifton than I was. He said, look, he adds some speed and some hitting and some penalty kill experience, which the Sabres really need.
0: Oh, yeah. The Sabres were awful um, 4v5 last year.
1: They were so goddamn bad at it.
0: I feel like they've had a shitty penalty kill for like 15 years.
1: Yeah, I haven't looked that up, but it does feel accurate. Um, Yeah, and so that's an issue that they're obviously looking to address. They seem like they're in the cliched young talented team situation where it's like, we've got, you know, the firepower to compete with anybody. Can we just avoid goals against enough um, to really make that tell? Like they don't even have to get to be great defensively. They just have to be okay. Um, As part of their quest to be okay. They also signed right defenseman, Eric Johnson, one year at 3.25 who was like the ultimate, did you know he was drafted first overall player in the NHL? Um, Because he was a long time ago. He's nearing the end of a solid career, which up until now was exclusively with the Colorado Avalanche. And he's 35 years old, and pretty much everything we can measure about him is in decline. So I'm not sure he's going to fix too much for him, but I will add the caveat. If he can sort of teach them stuff and provide a good locker room presence and otherwise help the growth of Power, Dahlien, and Samuelson, who are respectively 20, 23, and 23, then he's worth this contract. Period. Like, I'm willing to buy that that has some value. And again, no term risk. Um, They extended Tyson Jost, who never quite became what was hoped when he was drafted 10th overall in 2016, but he's a speedy two-way forward who can contribute a bit. Uh, he was a regular penalty killer for Buffalo last year, also, which, as we've noted, may not be a tremendous recommendation.
0: Mm-hmm. As a side note, I feel like there have maybe I'm missing someone, but there hasn't been like a really highly drafted BCHL guy in a while who I think is be- who's been good, like Jost, That's an interesting question. Dante Fabro is not great, Ooh. I don't
1: think. I, I thought Fabro if- was going to be good too. Yeah, no, me too. Uh, Kyle yeah. Turris, he was all right. But Kyle Turris was Mark Stone in disguise at his peak. <laughs> I'm convinced of that. I don't think he was ever like legit. But yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, So let's have some Buffalo additional thoughts. As mentioned, firecracker offense last season. And they were quite close to the playoffs. Like maybe closer than you realize because you're used to Buffalo being awful. Because they haven't made the playoffs in forever. Longest
0: yeah. um, playoff drought in North American pro sports, I believe.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, that feels credible. Yeah, but like, again, 91 points. They were right there. Um, One more win, and they're there ahead of the Panthers with what results, who can say. Um, Except for Jeff Skinner, who is 31, their forward core is still quite young. Um, At forward, Tage Thompson, 25. Dylan Cousins, 22. Peyton Krebs, 22. Jack Quinn is 21, although he is out with an Achilles injury until midseason. So they can also hope for some progress from power, given his age, he's 20, Um, and some general defensive maturing, hopefully.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Tuck is 27 as well. He's another important forward for them.
1: Yes, good call. So, you know, they're not really losing anyone. They're very much in the ascending part of their age curve as a team.
0: Mm -hmm. But as we've also seen, you know, this is the hardest part of the wind curve to climb. Mm-hmm. right you because a lot of the like once you get to this point usually a lot of the low-hanging fruit is gone now for buffalo because they're a team of such extreme strengths and weaknesses that's mm-hmm. not necessarily the case um because there is some low-hanging fruit of get nhl goaltending have a power or have a penalty kill that is not embarrassing and <laughs> you know that can take them the extra wins they need to be a comfortable playoff team that said it's also very hard to expect them to produce the exact same level of as last year just because there's naturally going to be some regression towards the mean, or there often is, right? Uh, When when you kind of explode unexpectedly in one direction, you know, oftentimes you were receiving some kind of positive variance that pushed you there, and your true talent is probably a little bit below that. So they might need to improve in other places just to stand still if their offense regresses even a little bit. But there, as I said, there is low-hanging fruit, and if their offense does stay about what it was last year, um they have a a really good shot to make the playoffs.
1: Mm -hmm. And yeah, the the, uh, trick is, of course, to make the playoffs, someone who made the playoffs last year has to fall out. And so a lot of people are picking the New York Islanders to be that team. Um, But the Boston Bruins, as we've talked about, I think are certainly worse, but I don't know if they're that much worse. So it's not going to be easy for them. Mm -hmm. Like if they were in the West, even though the West had like, you know, didn't have an easier cut line or anything, but I think that it's less competitive there.
0: Yeah, so. and there's also going to be kind of a three way dogfight. Maybe not necessarily three way, but like Ottawa, Detroit, and Buffalo are all kind of vying for that like team on the upward, uh, upward trajectory mm-hmm. that like gets into the playoffs for the first time with this with their current young core. I think Buffalo is ahead of the other two. We'll talk about Detroit later in this pod. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think it'll be pretty competitive in the Atlantic. Uh, you know, six teams, maybe seven teams, have reasonable designs on making a playoff spot.
1: Yeah. With so, Montreal yeah, I, being the exception there. Yeah, Montreal should be bad. Although hockey being what it is, who knows? But probably not. Um, let's talk about that three-headed nightmare in net. Um, the only really good Buffalo goalie last year, excepting Craig Anderson, who is now gone to Greener Pastures, uh, was Devin Levi, who was their hot shot prospect. Did very, very well. Um, in college hockey, um, he had seven decent games towards the end of the year. He's nominally third on the depth chart between er- behind Eric Comrie and Uko Pekka Lukkanen, but I would expect him to displace one of them pretty fast if this year starts the way the last one went. It's not like either of them locked down the job, so if they get decent goaltending from somebody, that will go a long way for them. They. Really have to be hoping for that. Um, Again, if they slip a little bit, even if they just slip for a while while they figure out who the best goalie is, that could be tough to overcome in a very competitive Atlantic division. So I think Buffalo has maybe the widest range of outcomes. Certainly of any team we've talked about so far. Um, Just because like, I can see how this falls apart Quickly, And they sink back down to being an 80-point team. I can also see an everything-goes-right scenario where they're, like, past 100 points easy. So, yeah, should be interesting to watch. Um, yeah, any more Buffalo thoughts?
0: That That's about it. Um, I guess Jeff Skinner is, like, not worth his deal, but he is better than people think he is.
1: Yeah, uh, I think people have uh, maybe lost sight of it just because he's been on a bad team. And also... Uh, especially earlier in his career, he missed a lot of time with concussions. But, like, yeah, he's still part of a dangerous top six. He was point a game last year, and he had 35 goals. Like, that's pretty good.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. The Calgary Flames. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, they had 93 points. They finished fifth in the Pacific and 16th in the NHL, and they just missed the playoffs. Uh, this was a challenging season for the Calgary Flames, and they are in... A bit of a dicey spot. Uh, so they traded, beginning with the departures, Tyler Toffoli, who had one year left at $4.25 million, to the New Jersey Devils for the signing rights to RFA forward Igor Sharangovich. And uh, they also got a 2023 third. And they signed, actually, I think his name is Sharangovich. I'm just butchering pronunciations today again. I'm very sorry. Uh, they signed him for two years at $3.1 million. Uh, Toffoli was actually the Flames' leading scorer last season, which is already probably not a great sign if you remember who they gave their biggest contract to. Uh, 34 goals and 73 points for him. His isolates are spectacular. And he can finish. Even if those overrate him a little bit, he's a first-line player on most teams. Really good. And this is a worrisome sign for Calgary because Toffoli, like Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk before him, decided he didn't want to be in Calgary anymore. Mhm. So they traded him because they thought okay, we can't walk him to UFA and lose him for nothing. Um it's quite possible that DeFord's next contract ends badly. He's 31. But the Flames are facing some pretty serious issues of like how are we going to keep good players?
0: Right. And they've also they're kind of pot committed into being trying to trying to win, right? You look at their yeah. contracts. They have Nazem Kadri signed till, you know, the heat death of the universe. Same with Jonathan Huberto, same with Mackenzie Weaker. Mm-hmm. And of those only, Weaker really had a year last year that was commensurate with the deal that he is going to be on.
1: Yes. If you look at the team position that they're in based on their contracts, it would make a lot more sense if they were on the other side of this trade. Like if they were making a move to get Tyler Toffoli because they're trying to contend now. But because they seem to have alienated their players for whatever reason. And we'll talk about perhaps one of them. Um, They're in the position of having to deal out present talent for a lesser return because they're afraid to lose assets for nothing. And that's probably the right choice, but it is a bad sign. Um, Cherenkovich is nominally a center, but he doesn't seem to play it too much. Uh, Bad face-off guy. Um, He looks like a passable middle six winger. So his deal is fine, I guess. He's just not Tyler Toffoli. Um, on less important notes, they lost Milan Lucic. Good riddance. They lost Trevor Lewis, who signed with the Los Angeles Kings for a year in 775. Doesn't matter. They fired coach Daryl Sutter, who was a legendary asshole. Also a legendary coach. Had some great success with the LA Kings about a decade ago. But almost everyone who has worked with him seems to say he's a prick.
0: Yeah. And th- there was a lot of smoke around the system that he employs, not necessarily being a good fit for, say, Jonathan Huberto. There was mm-hmm. um, some smoke around, you know, some comments that, uh, that Sutter made a bit about uh, Jakob Peltier, or maybe it's Jacob mm-hmm. Peltier, uh, a young prospect who played like his first couple games with the, t- with the team last year. Th- there was just a lot of smoke about like the, the roster being kind of sick of Sutter. And this is not the first time that's happened.
1: No. His LA Kings teams, who won the cup with him twice, um, famously all hated his guts by the end. Like, there was an incident where he was coming in to rant at them yet again, and they actually barricaded the dressing room door with trash cans just so they wouldn't have to hear him. (laughs) Um, That's not a great sign. Uh, And it may have played in to the desire of many of these players to get out of dodge. We can't say, but they also lost their GM, Brad Treliving, uh, who went to run a cool franchise that I'm sure you've heard of. Uh, so yeah, on additions and extensions, not many to name. Sharon Govich is really the only big one. And then they signed a defenseman, Jordan Esterly, a year at 925. That's fine. Uh, they promoted assistant GM, Craig Conroy to GM and assistant coach, Ryan Huska to head coach. Um, we kind of have to talk about what happened to Jonathan Huberdeau last year.
0: <laughs> right. Um, so, in the wake of losing Johnny Goodrow and Matthew Kachuk last year, or in the wake of losing Johnny Goodrow rather, and prospectively you know, losing Matthew Kachuk, who told him he did not want to resign, mm-hmm. uh, the Flames tried to stay in contention. And conditional on that decision, did a reasonably good job of extracting value in getting two good players in Mackenzie Weegar. And uh, Jonathan Huberto, who Mm -hmm. were expected to probably be worth more than Matthew Kachuk um, in the next season, just because two players is more valuable than one player, right? Uh, Kachuk Mm -hmm. projected to be the most valuable player of the three, but, you know, Huberto and Uyghur were both good. Uyghur mostly lived up to to what was expected. Huberto Mm -hmm. did not, which would not necessarily have been a problem, except they extended Huberto, kind of sight unseen. And yes. the Huberto extension, you know, even beforehand, even before last year, one could have predicted that it would end badly, just based on Huberto's age, some of his defensive weaknesses, the fact that he is a, a premium playmaker, which is obviously a great thing, but is something that can fade and something that is like dependent on, to some extent, puck luck.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It just didn't seem like a, a very prudent risk to take. And then Huberto had kind of the worst year possible leading into that contract. That contract has not taken effect yet. It does so this year.
1: Yes. Very worrisome. So at the time they signed that contract, he was coming off a 115-point season. Last year, he had 55 points.
0: Literally half the production.
1: Yeah. Very concerning. You know, he had one of the worst years production-wise of his career. If that's his level going forward, I'm not saying it is, if that's his level going forward, this is immediately one of the worst contracts in the NHL by far. Um, The Flames have to hope with all of their hearts that it's mostly that Daryl Sutter is a jerk and that they had trouble adjusting and that the system did not serve him well and that that's going to be fixed. If that's not the case... This is an albatross, and it's only going to get worse in the eight remaining years that it runs. And it's going to make it tougher them to contend in the future. Putting aside the fact they also signed Kadri, who who is 32, soon to be 33, not getting any younger. Um, he had one more point than Huberto last season, which is a little dicey at 7 million. But again, he's signed for term into infinity. You know, we talked last year about how at least they had a coherent strategy, which was contend right now. Well, they didn't contend right now, and now it looks very bad.
0: Right. Throughout a lot of last year, they were also a team that looked better on the stat sheet than they did on the ice. Mm-hmm. They got poor goaltending from Jacob Markstrom. Um, they had trouble finishing. Often a hallmark of Sutter teams, to be fair. Yeah. And it, it just felt like they were less than the sum of their parts. Mm-hmm. So... You know, they, they have to kind of hope for some sort of rebound this year. Like, they, they definitely have the potential to be a playoff team. There is some talent here. Dylan Dube and Andrew Mangiapane are good players on good deals, as is Mackenzie Weaker, as we mentioned. Um, Markstrom has a history of success. And if he gets back to that, like, this can easily be a playoff team in what is still a fairly weak Pacific division. Yes. Certainly after Edmonton and Vegas.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. And, you know, if you'd asked me going into last year, how good are the Calgary Flames relative to the league? I would have said they were like the 7th or 8th best team. And obviously they finished well short of that. Um, but if Markstrom gets back to form, great. Here is the thing. They have Mikhail Backlund, Elias Lindholm, and Noah Hannafin, um all staring down unrestricted free agency in a year. None of them have signed extensions yet. Um, Craig Conroy has said, you know, he's talked to them. He's giving them time to consider the offers that he's made to them. Um, but again, that same fear that oh, okay, we're going to lose these guys for nothing, like we did Johnny Gaudreau, is going to imbue their actions. If he gets the sense that they're not going to stick around, does he have to liquidate all three of those players? And then what happens?
0: Right, and also if you sign Lindholm, like he'll be, I think, thirty when he's uh, when his next contract takes effect. Mm-hmm. and he's done enough that someone's going to pay him over the odds, probably, especially with the cap go- likely going up next year. It's a good time to be a free agent.
1: Yeah. You know, and, you know, he's like a semi credible one C he's not like a real first line center, but he's the kind of guy who has done that.
0: Right. Like, I mean, a lot of his resume is kind of riding on the, uh, yeah. On the, on the very strong line with Kachuk and Goodrow from not last season, but the season before.
1: Yeah. But,
0: you know, that did happen, and Lindholm did play quite well.
1: Yeah, and he, like yeah, he's a good player. And also, like, centers who are even semi-credibly first line are worth their weight in gold. Like, look at what Detroit gave JT Compton. Yeah, with, which we're, we're going to talk, talk about, about that. Who is not a first line center. No. So, yeah, like, but this is the thing, is they have to figure out this inflection point now where... They're not sure that they're attractive to the people who are already key pillars of the franchise at the same time as they are term committed to these players who are only going to get worse. Um, it is it is a very challenging situation. Now they aren't at the point yet where it's doomed. where like you can see this turning around as we just said. Markstrom gets it together. everyone's much happier under Huska than they were under Daryl Sutter. These guys come around and sign extensions. Maybe they're a pretty good team for a couple years before age and decline really come for them. But, like, this is a a very tenuous time for the franchise. I would not feel good if I were a Calgary Flames fan at all.
0: No, it feels like a rough spot to be in.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, that was fun. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. So the Carolina Hurricanes finished with 113 points. They were first in the Metro and second in the NHL. And as with teams in that tier, they lost to the Florida Panthers in four games in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Canes have gotten swept in the ECF the last three times they've been there. Yeah, which is sort of weird. Yeah, it is a little weird. Okay, let's look at departures. Max Pacioretty signed one year and two million with performance bonuses with the Washington Capitals. This is too bad this didn't work out.
0: Yeah, it, I mean, we we praised this deal when it happened because they got Max Pacioretty for free from Vegas essentially, um, but yeah, just like completely snake bitten with injuries.
1: Yeah, he, he like he was injured. he had surgery right after they got him, and then they were like, "Okay, Carolina is obviously going to be a playoff team. Um, he can come back later." And he did come back, and he played five games in the middle of the season. He actually scored three times in those five games, and then he got injured again, and he didn't play again for Carolina. And so as a result, it was just a washout. Um, Carolina always needs finishing. They still need finishing. And so I totally get where they were coming from. You know, maybe the performance bonuses exceed their careful budgeting. Or maybe they just gave his money to Michael Bunting, as we'll discuss. Uh, Shane beer was sort of a luxury deadline addition, a playmaking defender on a team already stacked defensively. They can afford to lose him. He went to Detroit at one year and 4.125. Uh, Calvin DeHaan, one year at 775. Uh, signed with the Lightning. Who cares? Okay, additions and extensions. Dmitry Orlov, two years at 7.75. This is such a rich get richer mm-hmm. addition. <laughs> like Carolina last year had arguably the best defensive group in the NHL. It's either them or Boston, right? Yeah, it was down to the two of them. Um, by XG, it was Carolina, as I recall by actual goals, it was Boston, but they were both really, really good. Um, Orlov is a physical hard minutes, defensive presence, and he can balance out an offensive partner, like say Brent Burns or Tony D'Angelo. Uh, again, from the player perspective, I would have wanted more term at his age. He's 32. So like, I think this is a little bit interesting that he settled for two years at 7.75, it may work out for him, but it's like, at 34, I don't know what you're going to be commanding.
0: Yeah, two years is sort of interesting because we saw a lot of players, <coughs> Tyler Bertuzzi, for example, um, among many others, take a one-year deal to get on the market again next year um, with the cap going up, and there will presumably be more more dollars to spend. Mm-hmm. Um, Orlov kind of did this separate option, which is like a two-year deal, right? Yeah. So, eh, it, it, it is sort of unusual, um, but, I mean, he is getting paid pretty handsomely in the, in the interim. 7.75 is, is a lot, uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, he's been worth it. He's a, he's a top pair defender on, yeah. a, on a team with a couple of them already. Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, I, I don't know what the mechanics of that negotiation were, but he certainly wound up in a, a good situation. Um, the Canes signed left winger Michael Bunting, three years at 4.5. Uh, our formerly beloved Rat taking his talents to Carolina. I don't know if he's going to score quite as much, to be honest, as he did in Toronto. Spent a lot of time in a good situation here, but I think that this deal will work out, probably. He's probably going to be also left-wing to Sebastian Ajo, which is fine. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no concerns there. Uh, They signed defenseman Tony D'Angelo, one year at 1.675. I just found this fascinating, if we could explore this for a moment, the contrast in management performance between Carolina and Philadelphia. Um, the Hurricanes signed D'Angelo one year at one and 1 million in 2021. He put up 51 points for them. They let him walk. The Flyers gave D'Angelo two years at 5 million per, which predictably went badly as John Tortorella realized that D'Angelo can't play defense. Uh, the Flyers bought out the contract in July, after which the Canes signed D'Angelo cheaply again. Um... It's probably also kind of telling that neither the smart team nor the dumb team had any qualms about signing him, even though he's a huge asshole. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, he's a talented offensive defenseman who is a massive defensive liability, but the Canes have used him successfully before. I do not doubt they will do so again because they have so many options to balance him out.
0: Right, they have enough structure to, um, you know, yeah. to handle uh, D'Angelo's defensive limitations.
1: Yeah. Like, he, he literally just has to be, like, the sixth best guy on the Canes defense group. I'm not even exaggerating. Mm-hmm. So, that's fine. Um, they extended, Sebastian Ajo mentioned previously, eight years at 9.75 million. That is a future-dated extension. It begins 2024.
0: So, I mean, from a Leafs perspective, this is sort of interesting because of the comparison to William Nylander. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I'm I'm— It'll be interesting to see where Nylander's contract, whether he signs an extension or not, comes comes in relative to relative to Aho's. I think most people would take Aho above Nylander. I would agree with that. Um, although I think Nylander might have had more points than Aho last year. Aho is stronger defensively and plays a more valuable position.
1: Yeah, um, that said, the gap in points was like pretty meaningful. Like Nealander had eighty-seven points, uh, Aho had sixty-seven points. Like that's enough that his agent is going to have a case. Um. But yeah, I think I get the the argument there. I don't know if this deal is like a steal right now, but I think it's going to be a great bargain in four or five years. Um, The salary also dips in the final year of the deal and the NMC becomes a 15 team no trade. So if they have to deal it out in the last season, they have options to do that, which is nice thinking ahead on their part. He's a very strong playmaking center who can finish even his, if his production is just very good instead of jumping off the page. I don't think he's a top 10 center in the world, but he's a first line center. And, yeah. And yeah. That should go well.
0: Uh, agree. I mean, I think people have made the argument that the Carolina system stifles guys like Aho in a sense that if he played on a different team, his point production would be higher. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much I buy that. It's certainly plausible to me. Um, Carolina does have a very meat and potato system especially in the offensive zone it, they, they they are frankly kind of boring to watch
1: yes I think so uh,
0: it's a ton of point shots create mad scrambles crash the net um, use kind of possession as a defensive tool right mm-hmm. they don't take a ton of risks in the offensive zone yeah and as a result they have a lot of what I would classify as very undangerous offensive zone possession
1: yeah. Like they need to get like another ten shots a night to make up for the fact that their shots aren't that good. That this is me like pulling a number out of my ass, basically, but that is my sense from watching them. And right. from having watched their numbers from a long time.
0: Right. And I mean the thing is they, they do it. Right? They like do. they they, they, do they, do they pile up shot advantages. But that's that's, you know, part and parcel with the system. It's trade off that they're making. And they've found that this is, you know, a good way for them to to build a team that wins a lot of hockey games, and that's what they've done, right? They've, they've had a, mm-hmm. a lot of success. They haven't made it past the Eastern Conference Finals, but they've consistently gotten there, which is more than can be said of many teams, including the Leafs.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I, I do want to mention a little bit, I would be a little concerned as a Carolina fan that they got knocked out in four by Florida, even though it's like, yeah, you can they lost two of their best finishers in Svestikov and badger
0: Right. And they also lost, I think, a couple overtime games, including like a three OT game in game one or whatever it was. Yeah.
1: Right. Like and, it, and, you know, maybe maybe all it proves is that you have to get lucky to win the Stanley Cup.
0: Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, I mean, as you mentioned, they, they've lost 12 straight games in the Eastern Conference Final. Right. Yeah. And, you know, weird stuff does have to happen in hockey. But I mm-hmm. imagine Carolina and their smart front office is asking mm-hmm. themselves, like, is there something that we are lacking when we get to that phase mm-hmm. that is preventing us from you know from winning like i mean to go 0 and 12 even if you're like even if arizona was dropped into a conference final you wouldn't expect them to go 0 and 12
1: yeah right? just because hockey's a crazy game and you win like maybe a sixth of your games even if you're pretty bad
0: mm-hmm. so there's obviously some amount of bad variance there
1: yeah um, yeah, uh, so that's something to ponder. Uh, they made some interesting goalie decisions because they appear to be seriously running three goalies at the moment. Um, I don't think they'll actually do that for very long, but they have three guys who are being paid semi-credible NHL salaries. Let's talk about two of them. Uh, they extended Frederick Anderson, whom you probably remember, two years at $3.4 million. He had an up and down year. He suffered injuries. He's about to turn 34. But this is a fine price for a platoon goalie who's usually been the 1A. He's, I guess, kind of the first head on the three-headed monster they're running in their net. Um, they extended Anti Ranta one year at $1.5 whose whole career has been good when he's healthy, but usually not healthy. Uh, he's played 77 games over the past three regular seasons, and he is also 34. So I don't know how long he can be counted on. The contract is fine, though. Uh, and he's, I think, being signed to be the third goalie. The other goalie is Piotr Kochetkov, excuse me, who is waivers exempt, but he's on this weird four years times two million deal. So I think they gave him that, expecting him to play. And I don't know if Carolina was just like, "Look, we're going to get these three guys, and we're going to hope one of them is both good and healthy when we need them."
0: Mm-hmm. There's also um, there's been talks about them possibly trading Brett Pesci, um, or or Jacob Slavin, I think both of whom are heading into the last year of their deals, if I'm remembering that Pesci properly.
1: Slavin has uh, two years.
0: Okay. Um, yeah. And it's unclear whether they'll keep them after this year. They were rumored to be possibly in on Eric Carlson. We know now that that is not the case because Eric Carlson went to the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, in a deal earlier today. We'll talk about that next time we do this podcast. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think there, there might be some changes afoot in Carolina going forward, but for now, they're still just... A, very, very good team.
1: Yes, they are. Um, yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how they navigate aging curves there. This is a very, I would say, numbers-oriented front office by reputation. At least they're certainly aware. Um, but they signed a deal to quite an old player. Uh, and that's the last extension we'll talk about with Carolina. Jordan Stahl, four years at $2.9 million. He is nearly 35. Um, he's still a very strong defensive center who produces at a third line rate in very tough minutes. And as long as he keeps doing that, this deal is a bargain. Like we've talked about what we kind of hoped David Kampf would do, which is play a better line than him to withdraw. Jordan Stahl can do that against a very strong line. So yeah, again, the only question is how much, how long can he sustain that? Mm -hmm. And I don't know. Um, I think that uh, you know the Canes are undeniably a contender. They're they're probably the best team of the Eastern Conference. I, I don't even think I need to say probably. There, I think they just are. Um, and the only question is, will they finish enough um, to really push their advantage home and to win the Stanley Cup? Because that's what they're trying to like. That's the tier they're at now. They don't have lesser objectives. Um, yeah, so, you know, all credit to them. Uh, they have, again, the best defense in the NHL.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. You know who doesn't have the best defense in the NHL? The Chicago Blackhawks.
0: They do not.
1: They very much do not. 59 points, 30th in the NHL last year, which was itself kind of a miracle, to be honest. They deserved, in every respect, to be 32nd. Um, They were 8th in the Central Division, and they obviously missed the playoffs uh their departures there's only really one of much significance jonathan Taze is currently unrestricted if a reunion with the hawks was coming i think it would have happened already so i'm going to assume he's gone uh he put up 31 points in 53 games last year but his isolates are awful and anyone who's signing him now is really hoping for a resurgence that seems pretty dicey so this may be it for him um, the Hawks also sold their two leading scorers at the trade deadline last year, who were Max Domi now with Toronto and Patrick Kane. Um, neither of them is coming back. So even with those two players on the team, they were the lowest scoring team in the NHL. They are starting from a full burndown offensively, right? This is, this is a,
0: this team was worse than Anaheim. We said a lot of bad things about Anaheim. This team was worse.
1: Yes. Um, In you know, Chicago, openly burnt everything down for the sake of drafting Connor Bedard. And they were successful. They got him and they signed him to an ELC. Uh, Bedard is the most touted prospect since Austin Matthews.
0: Sorry. Let me, uh, they, they were not yeah. worse than Anheim. They were one point better. Like they're basically, but they're yeah. the same level of bad. Sorry.
1: Um, yeah. I think, I think they were a worse team. I'm like, I'm fine saying that. I think this was the worst team in the NHL on merit. I stand by that. Um, anyway, you can argue that whatever. Um, what a sad, Honor what Bedard. a sad
0: argument if someone's like, no. <laughs> can you imagine someone <laughs> hey having man. a serious argument about like, no man, Anaheim was slightly worse.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh God. That, yeah. That's a, a real battle at the bottom of the barrel. If you find yourself uh,
0: arguing that at any point, um, <laughs> I should reevaluate some decisions you've made in your life.
1: Oh, you, you got to consider some life choices for sure. Um, so Bedard has been annihilating the WHL for the past two years. Uh, 143 points in 57 games last year. That is just cartoonish. Um, he seems destined to be very, very good. There are a few people who expect him to move to the wing due to his size. He's not that big, but his hands and his release are insane. And he's considered to have 50 goal upside. To be clear, that means in the NHL, I've seen people who are not crazy saying like this guy will win the rocket Richard at some point in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, A note of caution, Mm -hmm. sorry, I was just going to say, the most touted prospect, to my ears at least, between Matthews and Bedard was Alexis Lafreniere, who has somewhat struggled on a New York Rangers team that has options to play ahead of him and ambitions of contending right now, which means they're less tolerant of rookie lapses. At least those two issues should not be applicable to Bedard because he's pretty much already their 1C. And the Hawks have no higher organizational priority than developing Connor Bedard. They have nothing else to focus on that is more significant than that.
0: Yeah. With Bedard, I mean, I guess there's been so much hype around him. I think I'm certainly no scout, but from everything I've seen around him, it's very justified. He looks like he's Mm. going to be an absolutely phenomenal um, NHL player. Where he ranks among prospects you know, since since Crosby, really, right? In the kind of modern post-2005 lockout uh, version of the NHL is interesting because I think everyone seems to have McDavid as number one in a tier of his own, which is valid. And then yeah. there's a lot of... Um, and this is not including Crosby, to be clear. Uh, and then there's a lot of debate about, like, where other people fit in. I think Bedard seems to very comfortably be in that second tier with guys like Austin Matthews. Um, yeah. I think Matthews has... Weirdly, gotten underrated as a prospect in some ways. Like he, he had a very non-traditional path, which I think made it harder for people to contextualize him. But like, Matthews was an absolutely bonkers prospect. Like he did stuff that basically no one had really done before. It's also mm-hmm. worth noting that like, it's it's especially common now for American prospects to be breaking like U.S. National Development Team records. Um, mm-hmm. I think like a guy who got picked like you know not even in the top five this year broke the record for u.s national team points um and that i think has occurred in part from what i've seen due to like the national team development program like getting richer and better and whatnot and also people playing there in their draft year as opposed to in their draft minus one year recall matthews was playing um in the pro league in switzerland
1: in his draft year zsc lions as i recall yeah he was good there too yeah
0: he was very good he was a teammate of dennis malgan i believe
1: Yeah. Uh, And, you know, obviously that chemistry translated to the Toronto Maple Leafs where they both played. Yeah. So so
0: anyways, like it's, it's, this has nothing really to do with Chicago, but who gives a shit about the rest of their roster? Like this, this is, this is the Connor (laughs) Bedard show. He's the only really interesting thing to watch there. I I don't even think we should even talk about the rest of this team. It's just like, who gives, who gives a shit?
1: There is a strong argument of who gives a shit. And I will not take it personally. If you skip to the next segment, although it's Columbus. So I don't know if that's a ton better. But they did do some stuff, and I took notes on it. So unfortunately, I will have to do this quickly. Just keep in mind, this is the Connor Bedard show. And the moves they made were kind of premised on, let's surround Connor Bedard with some actual forwards. Because again, they didn't have any by the end of last year, or they had very few. Um, they were a pathetic team. Uh, as we mentioned before, they got Taylor Hall and Nick Felino. They extended Nick Felino for a year at $4 million. Um, they got two still pretty good forwards. Um, Hall is probably gonna be on their top line with Bedard, or at least their most interesting line with Bedard. Uh, Fulino can be more of a defensive installation and maybe he can teach everybody what it means to be a good professional. Um, The Hawks traded future considerations to the New York Islanders for forward Josh Bailey in a second, and then they bought out Josh Bailey. This is just a straight up cap service move, which is the kind of thing that you can do when you have money and you're complete garbage. I might have tried to keep bailey and flip him later but he was kind of in decline so who cares they traded a seventh for the signing rights or the negotiating rights to Corey perry and then extended him at one year and four million that's more than he's worth but money isn't real so who cares uh he's a rat who's mostly good for second power play unit they might trade him down the line Uh, they signed ryan donato bottom six forward who can score 15 goals two years of two million who cares they extended winger Andreas Athanasiu, two years at $4.125 million. He put up 20 goals, 20 assists, 40 points last season, so he was actually the Hawks' top scorer who didn't get traded. He's a fast offensive threat who stinks defensively, but so does everyone else in Chicago. Um, they extended Filip Kurashev, two years, $2.25 million. Uh He got 25 points this year. No one cares this point. I'm just not going to elaborate on that. Joey Anderson, one year at $800,000. i am mentioning him because he used to be a Leaf. Okay. Uh, yeah, the mandate for Chicago was let's get a forward group that looks like a semi-real one. It's still very bad. Um, they're also overpaying their forward signings by like $10 million. And it, like, it doesn't matter. Right. They're very bad. They have the cap space. Um, just, I thought I would note that that's what they're doing. Um, if they want to flip some of these guys in retained salary transactions, the only thing to note is they still have retained money for us, actually, for Jake McCabe. So they can only do it twice. But, yeah. um, Only other thing to note, their defense is awful. It's Seth Jones and a bunch of guys. But they have a prospect, Kevin Korczynski, who they got in the Alex Dobrynkit trade. um, Or they got the pick for him. And he is well thought of, so he might end up playing some significant minutes for them. He's not going to be able to save them. So, yeah. This is the Connor Bedard show. And we'll see what he does. He, the expectation will be that he at least strongly contends for the Calder against the likes of Logan Cooley. Mm-hmm. Okay, Columbus. <laughs> From bad to almost as bad. 59 points, 31st in the NHL, 8th in the Metro, and of course they missed the playoffs. Departures. Coach Brad Larson. Sure, it was his fault. I don't know. Okay, who did they add? Adam Fantilli. Was drafted third overall, and they signed him to an ELC. He's very well thought of. One of the top names in a strong draft class. He's a power forward who can carry at an elite level, and he should be a strong all-around offensive dominator. The Blue Jackets have been painfully thin at center since Pierre-Luc Dubois made his billionth trade request. Uh, So it seems possible that if Fantilli plays in the NHL, he actually gets to play with Johnny Gaudreau and or Patrick Line. So that'll be fun. Um... They traded a conditional second uh, to Philadelphia for Ivan Provorov at 30% retained, leaving him at two times 4.725. This was actually part of a three-team trade with the Kings and the Flyers, but we won't focus on their ends of it right now. Um, From CBJ's perspective, they threw in a second and got out Ivan Provorov with some retention. He was once viewed as like a potential stud defenseman, but he struggled for a few years now and he never developed like a top tier offensive game. He's still pretty mobile, and he's had some friction with teammates and coaches. But his investment is considered good uh, in the game. You know, he's very fit. It's not crazy to me that his tools materialize into him being a better player. And this is a fine contract. I don't know if it's going to fix much for them, but sure.
0: Yeah, I I don't know. I've always been a, kind of left cold a bit by, by Provorov. Um, mm-hmm. I think he, he had like a 20-goal season, and I think he's been riding off that for for quite a while and yeah it just hasn't really seemed to consistently drive play at high levels and i think for a defenseman that's like kind of just the big deal that's the entire ball game almost you know unless you're a really rare guy who elevates his team shooting percentage like eric carlson or something like that but you know no one's going to mistake ivan provera for that type of player
1: no um now again they're not paying him to be at this point like this contract just requires him to be, like, a solid second pair guy. Which he could that? do, yeah. Yeah, maybe.
0: The thing is, like, so Columbus, I think, from what <laughs> I know, they have some some good defensive prospects, but they have just a lot of guys blocking them.
1: They do have a lot of bodies on their not very good defense. And we're going to talk about one of the other ones they signed in a second. But they still have uh, Eric Goodbranson, who is just dreadful. Um, Andrew Peake. Um Adam Boakvist is still... Conceivably on the way up. And Zach Wierenski is sort of the established, I guess, stud defenseman. Like, he's a very good defenseman, but they've paid him as if he's like a, a franchise defenseman, which he's not. Right. So, yeah, they're they're in a bit of a tough situation.
0: It's a bit like the Morgan Rielly contract in that sense.
1: Yeah. And um, the only thing is, is that they're paying him another $2 million a year over what Morgan Rielly is getting. Yeah. So, that's kind of grim. I think... You know, we talked about with Calgary how they have the existential crisis of everybody wants to leave. Um, Columbus has dealt with that in the past. And I think some of their decisions have reflected uh, a desire to hold on to whatever talent they can get, even if they have to overpay it. So I I don't know if that was what was happening here, but that's my guess. Um, Related note, they traded a 2023 third rounder for Damon Severson, who was a sign and trade. At eight years and 6.25 million. Oh boy, I don't like this deal. Um, So he's a strong puck moving defenseman and his isolates are sparkling. So I'm going against the stats on this one. Um, If he's as good as those stats say that he is, this is a terrific contract. I don't think he is. And coaches seem to agree with me because he gets sheltered usage consistently. Um, Every time I have seen him he has looked not very great defensively and I know I'm eye testing it, but I think it's severe. I'm sorry.
0: I think it's a little, um, I guess it's a little convenient for Severson that his numbers, his page traffic numbers like shot up last year on a very, very strong devil's team that had a lot of support. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I like I'm always skeptical of one year bounces for guys who are, you know, 20. Like hockey is random, so you can just get that sometimes. But yeah. I think the more likely scenario is he was put in a very good situation and played well with that situation. But when the situation changes, I think there's there's not a guarantee that you get the Damon Severson of last season. Yeah. We yeah. definitely are colored in our mind because we have seen Damon Severson play a two-on-one as horribly as someone has ever played a two-on-one in recorded history against the Leafs. Not last year, I think it was two seasons ago. I remember we did an entire podcast segment about it, and it's burned into my mind. because oh, yeah. it that, was That
1: is the worst I have seen an NHL defenseman play a two-on-one.
0: Genuinely, yeah. if he was not there, it would not have made a difference on that play. He, no. he didn't dissuade <laughs> any player from doing
1: anything. There is an argument that by being there... He gave his goalie some false confidence that he might have some impact on the pass um, and probably made it more likely that the puck was going to go in. It was that bad. Um, Again, that is big mistaking. I know that that's a bad way to evaluate defensemen, but I really do believe that that is a factor with Severson. Anyway, they gave him a huge-ass deal. The Blue Jackets are already overpaying Wierenski and Goodbranson, and... I suspect they are now overpaying Severson. Now, Evolving Hockey has their contract projections. They think that this is in line with the market. So, who knows? Um, they extended energy guy, Mathieu Olivier, two years at $1.1 million. Neat. And they hired coach Mike Babcock. Look who it is. Um, I think Babcock is a capable, if obstinate, coach. I also think he's kind of an asshole. He's probably going to impose some defensive structure on the Blue Jackets, which they need. And it would be hard for them to be worse. But I don't think he has the clay to make bricks out of here. Unless Fantilia is like immediately a 1C. So. Yeah. Like, they're obviously trying to sort of cobble something together in the rebuild. They're not making super impressive decisions, in my opinion. And. I don't feel super good about anything that they've really done this offseason except getting fantilly.
0: Yeah, they have a long way to go. As you said, this is a bad team. This is, again, a 59-point team or something last year. Mm-hmm. Um, long way to go to get to relevancy. They kind of need to do it soon-ish because, you know, Johnny Goodrow is not going to be Johnny Goodrow for the next five years or so, which they've signed him for. Like He's going to be as good as he is for the next couple years and then probably start declining a little bit and you know the same is true of a lot of their their big money acquisitions yeah. and they're just like quite far away from that now maybe Babcock can work some magic this does seem like a roster that he can do something with in the sense that you know th- there are, there are capable players here who can execute a system right and it wouldn't shock me if they shot up to respectability pretty soon but there's a long way to go to be a contender and yeah i just i just think they're paying a lot of guys a little bit more than they're worth
1: Yeah, and that starts to tell on you. Look, if this team got 80 points next season, it wouldn't surprise me at all. If this team got 95 points, I would be stunned.
0: Right. They do have a little bit of upside because of guys like Kent Johnson and Fantilli. Like, strong players on ELCs. Um, Yeah,
1: and, you know, if you want the optimistic case for them, it's that they have a nice growth season. Where these guys start showing well, and you're like, oh, I'm hopeful going into 2024, 2025. Okay. Uh, Dallas.
0: Yep. So let's move on to Dallas. Uh, we weirdly the first, like eight teams alphabetically have a lot of shit teams. Mm -hmm. And now we start getting into the realm of some pretty good ones. The next four teams we're going to discuss all can reasonably expect or hope to be in the playoffs this year, or at least in a playoff hunt. Yeah. Uh, the Dallas stars got 108 points last year, eighth in the league, second in the central. They lost in the Western conference finals to the Vegas golden Knights. Um, so, a few departures. They traded Colin Miller to the New Jersey Devils for a 2025 fifth-round pick. Miller has a year and a little bit less than $2 million remaining. Um, he's a decent player by the stats. He played a lot with Mirror Heiskanen last year. You can probably guess who drove the bus on that pairing. Uh, is a decent player, but he was a healthy scratch during the 10 of the playoffs, was deemed surplus to requirements. Miller's always been a guy who is kind of looked better than the third-pairing minutes that he's often been given. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, maybe he's better than, maybe he shouldn't have been benched at the tail end of the playoffs. And, you know, as a third pair guy for a pre, as a premium third pair guy, maybe he's worth, you know, 1.85 million, but conditional on the stars, not really viewing him that way. You can see why they would have dumped him. They also have some young defensemen who they wanted to probably clear some space for nose Lundqvist and Joel Hanley, um, both young right-handed defensemen who Minner could have eaten playing time from if he continued in Dallas. Uh, Max Domi, who was a trade deadline acquisition, signed in Toronto as a UFA. We know what the deal was here. We talked about him before. Uh, Frederick Olofsson signed with Co- uh, Colorado as a UFA, one year, seven seventy five k. Did we miss Colorado?
1: Um. Yeah. Whatever. What are they doing? That's important.
0: Oh, uh, that's my. <laughs> I, I think. I think I. I Color I was supposed to probably do Colorado, and uh, I. You know. We-
1: no, I, I probably missed Colorado. All right, let's just say we moved Colorado to the second section. Yeah, it's okay. We're doing another one. Like, Apologies to fans of the Avalanche. I can't spell the alphabet. It's very hard.
0: Um. <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah. So anyway, Frederick Olafson signed there. That's all they did. That's that's the Colorado done. <laughs> <laughs> Uh,
1: or if they did anything else, we're not going to worry about it. Yeah, yeah, I actually, I know some of the stuff that they did. Yeah, my bad on that.
0: Uh, Luke Glendenning signed with Tampa Bay as a UFA, two years, 800K. Kind of meh from Dallas's perspective, kind of weird from Tampa Bay's perspective. Glendening um, is like a not trivial addition by subtraction. He was like kind of bad as fourth liners go last year because he has a complete lack of offense.
1: Everyone likes him though. Like he keeps washing up. Like with contrast, because I remember we were worried about the Leafs signing him because Mike Babcock liked yeah, him. Yeah, it's at like the time, years we were ago. Like I don't know about this. Yeah. <laughs> so that's been a while. It has. Um, anyway, whatever. So, uh, yeah. Okay.
0: So in terms of additions and extensions, um, Evgeny Dodonov, two years, two point two five million. He's thirty-four now, so he's old. He still has some offense. In a sense, he and Domi are kind of similar types of players. And looks like kind of the former one out, um, pretty good last year, uh, so you know nothing, nothing too crazy there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joel Hanley, who I mentioned above, he's a competent seven D making seventh defenseman money. Craig Smith, uh, one year, one million, decent deal. Smith was at one point one of the more underrated players in the league. He fell out of favor in Boston. It's around league average now with some recent history, well above that. So I think this has some uh, some real upside.
1: Mm-hmm. I, what is Nashville doing? I guess we should save that for the Nashville.
0: Yeah. Also, I, I misspoke when I said, I, I referred to Joel Hanley as a, um, someone who they were clearing room for. That was incorrect. Uh, he, I, he, he is not young. I just confused. I just added him to a list with Nils Lundqvist, who is actually young and will be kind of playing was one of the reasons they got rid of Colin Miller.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. then the big one that you alluded to when talking about Nashville, uh, Matt Duchesne, one year, three million after he got bought out by nashville this was one of the steals of free agency
1: yeah like okay you can certainly argue that he was overpaid on his nashville deal i think he was um the decision to buy him out was interesting and we will certainly investigate that when we talk about the predators in a future episode but it led to this remarkable steal like duchene is a flawed player i think by the standards of is he a 1c well no i mean he's primarily a winger most of the time anyway but it's like at 3 million this is a great deal
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think he's a better player than Max Domi. You know, if, if you're talking about the, oh, kind yeah. of the offensively tilted center winger tweener, mm-hmm. I would much rather have Max Domi, or sorry, much rather have Matt Duchesne than Max Domi. And yeah, yeah it's like a straight upgrade from Dallas, and as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, so Dallas is one of those like two timeline teams, which can wow. often put them in a weird spot. But what has rescued them is that their younger timeline is among the very best in the league. Yeah. Between ja- nice Jason Robertson and Mirror Heiskanen, they have... Um, two of the best young forward and defensemen in the league, essentially. Mm-hmm. Robertson had an
1: absolutely stunning year. Oh, yeah. Huge year. Like, he was getting, like... I guess you can't say he was getting heart Trophy buzz because everyone knew McDavid was going to win it running away. But he was getting... He should be on your heart Trophy ballot
0: buzz. Yes. Uh, and they also have uh, Rupert Hints, who is mm. another very, very good player and a proud winner of the so underrated that he's now properly rated award. Everyone knows Rube Hints is now good.
1: Yeah, it took a while to get there because there was always a question with that Robertson-Hintz-Pavelski line of who is really driving it. And with a lot of such lines, the answer is, well, they're all pretty good at least. And I think we've gotten there with these three.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Hintz and Heiskanen in particular are signed on you know, very long-term deals that are going to age very well. Robertson is on a bridge deal. He's getting paid a lot less than he's worth currently, um, yeah. but he has there's a shorter term. Three more term years, deal. though. Yeah, three so, more years. Yeah. It's not insignificant. And for a team that went to the Western Conference final last year, like, they're getting value out of the cap savings that they're get, that they're earning right now, right? It's yes. not like, oh, we signed a bridge deal in a year where we're finishing 25th.
1: Yeah, and there's also a very much an element of nothing succeeds like success. Like, I think Matt DeShane signs for $3 million here because Dallas is a serious contender. Mm-hmm. And... and that gets the gets him to take a discount.
0: Yep. Uh Jake Ottinger says close as a young goalie gets to being, you know, a sure thing, which means he is not at all a sure thing, but
1: <laughs> he could be garbage in one month. Yes. But he looks good. Yeah, his
0: history has been has been strong. Um basically the the problem with Dallas, not necessarily a problem, but like the negative aspect of their of their team building right now is that they have to wait out the Ben, Sagan and Suter deals, which have two, four and two years remaining respectively. And none of those deals are okay. good, but they'll just wait it out and their young players have been good enough, and they've signed them to good enough deals that they'll be able to wait it out and still be strong. And then once you know the old Earth trio expire, they'll have the cap space to, you know, re up their younger guys like Robertson, who will get a huge, huge raise and will probably be breaking like ten or even even twelve million when he when his next contract comes up.
1: Yeah, the number that he ends up signing for is going to be absolutely bananas in that cap environment. Um, Worth noting, Jamie Benn had a bit of a bounce back season. He had 78 points last year. That doesn't mean it's a good contract, but it means it's more palatable. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's a good team. It is, (laughs) yes.
0: Uh, One other thing to note, similar to Boston with Patrice Bergeron, they have kind of the the Bergeron problem with Joe Pavelski, which is not a problem Mm -hmm. as long as he is still on the team. Uh, Pavelski is stunning. Uh, At his age, to be as good as he currently is is absolutely unbelievable. Um, Pavelski yeah. hints Robertson is one of the very best lines in hockey. So he's on a, a $3.5 million deal. Well, it's actually a five million, five and million deal. It's 3 and a half base, $1 million bonuses for 10 and 20 games played, which he will almost certainly do. Mm-hmm. Uh, even at $5.5 million, he is absolutely worth that contract. But, you know, if he retires or if he just falls off because he's, you know, like older than, you know, the fucking dinosaur at this point... <laughs> you will not 39, be 39 able... yeah. for the record
1: like that's ancient Yeah, you
0: will not be able to replace Pavelski or even come particularly close to it so not a problem as long as he's still on the ice but that's like a succession problem that they're going to have to deal with at some point
1: yeah so yeah you can see the two timelines issue here which is they want to win the cup next year and I have to say everyone wants to win the cup next year they have serious ambitions of winning the cup next year then there will be a transition period I think where they fall back a little bit. And, you know, that's okay. Um, they're not, I, I think, one of the very, very best teams. Like, I don't think they're, like, in a tier with Carolina, I guess I would say. But they're a good team.
0: I'd say they're in, like, the second group of contenders, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the, Vegas is in the first group, and then Colorado, who <laughs> we forgot because they <laughs> were mediocre for one season after they were super injured. Um, probably also belong there, Mm -hmm. but yeah, like definitely a a strong showing from Dallas after, frankly, I thought that they were, I thought they were going to be kind of mired in mediocrity with the decline of Sagan and Ben, and they've overcome it by just having some absolutely huge draft hits. Yep. So good for them.
0: All right. Uh, we can move on to Detroit. So Mm. Detroit is, you know, I said, I kind of set up these four teams of saying all of these teams can hope to be in the playoffs really. Three of them can really hope to be in the playoffs and see themselves as probably contenders. Detroit is, you know, a playoff perspective. Like, they want to get close to it. They want to, you know, make it for the first time with their new core. Yeah. So, last year, they were kind of respectably bad. Uh, 80 points, 7th in the Atlantic, didn't make the playoffs. They had a bunch of departures and a ton of acquisitions. So, let's quickly cover the departures. Uh, Dominic Kubalik was traded to Ottawa in the Alex Debrinkit deal, which we are going to discuss. Uh, Robert Hag signed f- for with Anaheim, as we talked about, for almost zero time at all, which is exactly how much time it deserves. Um, Pia Suter, currently unsigned, not a big deal. Jordan Osterley, signed with Calgary, as we covered, not a big deal. Um, Philip Sedina, contract terminated, signed with San Jose for uh, 1 by 1.1 1. 1 million. Uh, San Jose is a real Isle of Misfit Toys now. I mean, this is interesting. It's worth talking about at least briefly because Zadina was someone who people had a lot of hopes around. When he was picked sixth, people thought Detroit was getting a steal, right? And that for a team that has not really had any lottery luck was getting some some luck in the way of other teams making a mistake. Now, it hasn't turned out that way at all. Uh, I would like to think Zena still has some upside, but he's 23 and really at the NHL level has just not done a heck of a lot.
1: No, not at all. And like, from the people who have watched him, the sense seems to be that he just can't get his shot off at an NHL level. Like, he cannot find the time to deploy his shooting ability that was supposed to be his hallmark as a sniper.
0: Right. And, like, it just, yeah, the puck just has not gone in at all. Last year in particular, he had kind of, like, very nice isolates. Um, yeah. But the puck just never went in. And it was also a pretty small sample. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways, that's a as you can tell by that list of names, not a lot of major losses from Detroit, but mm-hmm. a bunch of fairly large additions, the biggest of which is Alex Debrinket. So, yes. Alex Debrinket's signing rights were acquired for Dominic Kubelik, uh, who is a formerly great finisher who has almost nothing else to his credit, either statistically or by scouting. Donovan Sobrengo, which sounds like the name of a car manufacturer, uh, he's a 21 year old AHL defenseman. No idea if he's good, history doesn't look that promising. Uh, and a 2024 conditional first-rounder, which is the less favorable of Detroit and Boston's 2024 first. There's also, you know, some protections around Boston's 2024 first if it, if it falls in the top 10 or whatever, but it's not a huge deal, whatever. Um, you can just think of it as essentially the less favorable of Boston and Detroit's 2024 firsts. DeBrinkett was then signed to a four-year $7.875 million deal.
1: Whew. Oh, that's a lot. Now, b- before we go any further— I do want to say, last year, uh, I mentioned that um, Ottawa, in acquiring DeBrinkett from the Chicago Blackhawks, were getting a good player, but they were taking some downside risk in that he was a player who could conceivably pick up his qualifying offer and walk to free agency in 2025, putting them in a position where they would have to trade him after a year where they missed the playoffs. And that's exactly what happened. So, I just want to gloat over the Ottawa Senators for a little bit right now. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Sorry. We were talking about what he's done in Detroit now or is going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a good offensive player. Like, I get why they want him. He didn't have the greatest year.
0: No, he had a pretty large shooting slump in Ottawa for really, like, the first time in his career. And shooting mm-hmm. slumps are problematic when a lot of your value is tied up in being a great shooter, which is what Debrinket has been over the course of his career. Mm-hmm. He is a, a volume shooter who also is very good at converting those shots to goals. He was less good at that last season, also had some poor defensive results. So if you look at this on the basis of last year, he's probably not worth this deal, but he is still quite young. And if he returns to his prior form, in shooting in particular, this trade and signing becomes very good, in my opinion, because they didn't trade a whole heck of a lot to get to Mm -hmm. Brinkett.
1: This is a totally fine price to pay. For this caliber of player, mm-hmm. if there's any concern about it, it's sort of a larger concern about Detroit's timeline. Um, but yeah, I think this is good. I'm in favor of this from their perspective.
0: Yes, and he will presumably play with Dylan Larkin on what will form the bones of a genuinely solid first line, which you know Detroit has lacked for for some time. You know, Larkin's probably, uh, he he's a one C, but he didn't have. The help around him to really drive a line to what a first line should be for a team that wants to be an above average team in the league
1: mm-hmm. uh, you know and we can debate where larkin truly belongs in the hierarchy of players but he's very good he's certainly up there his deal is fine um yeah like i, I think that this should be positive for them mm-hmm. um I'm not as big on the next deal.
0: No. JT Comfer <laughs> signed a four-year, $5.1 million deal uh, as a UFA. This is a lot of JT Comfer.
1: <laughs> on a scale of one to JT Comfer, this is close to the max. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, this reminds me a lot of the Andrew Kopp deal, who also signed by Detroit, uh, just the previous offseason, where it's like, you kind of have this premium second-line center, um, or someone who's perceived as like a premium second-line center. Mm-hmm. Uh and the player is pretty good. Like Cops, a pretty good player. I think Confer a pretty good player. We've seen him have success on a Stanley Cup winning team, um, and he was, you know, forced to play in a pretty elevated role last year due to a lot of Colorado's injuries. It just seems like a little too much money, and in general, it seems like the sort of like premiums two uh, C market is not always a great place to be making purchases. I don't know if premium is even the right word for it necessarily because, like, yeah. I guess, like, a true premium two Cs are guys who actually are paid, like, low-end Cs. But, you know, guy, yeah. no one's pretending that JT Confer is going to be a first-line center. No. Right? You're, you're signing him for your second line in free agency. Same with, like, someone like Kopp, or at least that was the thought last year, but they presumably can't both play second-line center. Cop will probably move to the wing. Um. So, yeah, I, Cop also didn't have a great first year in Detroit. So,
1: yeah, it's one of those deals where it's like it's fine, but it's like it's a little bit iffy, and Detroit has signed a lot of those deals where I find myself saying that now.
0: Right. Well, it's just like the fundamental issue is when you're signing when you're signing players for important roles on your team, you're getting them for, by definition, you know, as a UFA, what they're worth, mm. and there are. Often difficulties with that. We've seen it with the Elise, with John Tavares, right? Where like he he is not worth, He was never worth eleven million. You're paying for the opportunity cost of adding that many wins in a single roster player, mm-hmm. and we're eating a lot of issues for it on the back end with the hope that you know things would have been stronger at the front end than they ended up being.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The, for lower end players, it kind of just exacerbates that. I think because you're you're getting this guy who adds a few wins to your roster total, but not like a tremendous amount, right? And he's going to be playing an important role, so this is just like a part of your lineup where you're sort of resigned to saying, yeah, we're not really getting an, a super efficient contract here, mm-hmm. right? And with Detroit, you know, you're not—they're not taking advantage of the fact that like, okay, we know this isn't super efficient, but we're just adding wins at a time where we really, really need to add wins because this will take us over the top. Like, no, this is hopefully to take them to being, like, an average team.
1: Yeah, like, let me put it this way. This deal gets better if you are confident that Detroit has basically all the prospects it needs and they just have to come onto the roster and develop into key roles during the life of this contract. Like, that's, that's the way that I see it is, like, if this is like your supporting cast and you're totally confident that the main cast is basically on track, then I think you feel better about this. I do not have that confidence, speaking personally. um, Yeah, I, I don't know. It's interesting. He's not like a bad player or anything. No. Sure, it, it, but... That's the thing.
0: He, he clearly makes Detroit better. It's just... You made this point, I think, in the last um, podcast we did when we talked about the Leaf signing in the context of... Detroit signing Justin Hall. But, like, mm-hmm. they're adding wins, but they're also kind of reducing their seating in some ways.
1: Yeah. And, like, the thing that, like, has to be a, a starting point here is that Detroit was not a good team last season. Like, they, they were pretty lousy. They weren't in the absolute abyss, like some of the teams we've been talking about in this episode. But they were not very good, and they were not one of the teams that was knocking on the door of a playoff spot. Um, like Calgary or the Buffalo Sabres.
0: Right. It seems like they're making a hard charge for 18th.
1: Yeah. That's not what you want. Okay. And like, and if it's a stepping stone to getting better and again, like you can't just go bam Stanley cup, but it's like, I don't know. And I think, look, Steve Iserman is associated with the Tampa Bay lightning who are probably the greatest team of the 21st century for my money. I think you can argue it. It's them or the, the Blackhawks. Um,
0: I mean, certainly post-lockout, right?
1: Certainly post-lockout. Yeah, different era. Um, Yes. And then, you know, the Penguins are also in that conversation just based on Crosby and Malkin being insane. But yeah, like, I don't think that his work in Detroit has been like unimpeachable by any means. And I think it would be questioned a lot harder if it weren't Stevie Y. Mm -hmm. And and I'm wondering if that's going to start because if, you know, okay, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, I have some questions here.
0: Right. So uh, they also signed Daniel Sprong, one year, two million. Sprong has forever been one of those players who seems underplayed. So this seems like a good addition to me. Like Sprong, if you look at his rate stats and you take them at face value, this guy looks like an absolute star. Mm -hmm. Really strong offense, strong play driving. You should be wondering, why does this guy not get more minutes? The thing is, he's not gotten minutes across a bunch of coaches now. Yeah. I think it says something that a pretty analytically savvy group in Seattle decided that they didn't want to do more than this.
1: Yeah, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, if one team lets him go, I'm like, yeah, no, this is going to be a steal or something. Why does this keep happening? Right. Is a valid question here. Yeah. And again, as you say, it's not like Seattle is ignorant.
0: Right. And and he worked out very well for Seattle, right? Like they made a great play in getting him but to mm-hmm. let him go so quickly is is interesting and it, it makes me wonder if there's something that we're missing about him. Um, so that's just something to keep an eye on. Uh, Justin Hall alluded to before three by 3.4 million similar to confer right but like lower end mm-hmm. Hall has his positive qualities this just seems like a little rich you know you're you're paying kind of you're paying him to be at a premium third pair or like lower end second pair guy which Hall can do but he's fallen off a little bit. Over the last couple of years, he's not exactly like going to be a standout in that role. His calling card is, hey, I can do this competently on a team where we're paying a lot of money to a bunch of guys who are stars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can survive with me there. But on a team without those stars, I don't think he's going to be driving a ton of value.
1: No. and, and like It's not like um, Detroit is unimpeachable in terms of uh, the defenseman they've been signing, most famously Ben Chirot.
0: Oh, that's a horrible deal.
1: That's a hideous contract. And like, I, I'm, I know that like everyone kind of criticized it at the time, but it's like, yeah, it's been bad and it's still there for another three seasons. So it's like, I'm not going to take it on faith that genius, Steve, Stevie, uh, Eiserman, uh, made a great decision here, even though I think Justin Hall is better than some people thought. I'll be glad when I stop having to do Justin Hall segments, to be honest. I've done so many. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, Clem Costin acquired for nothing with Kyler Yamamoto, who was bought out. Costin um, was signed for two by two million. Seems all right for him. Okay. Bottom six guy. Um, Christian Fisher left Arizona to be a fourth liner or so in Detroit for 1.1 million this year. That's fine. Uh, Jake Wallman. Uh, this is a re-signing or an extension that happened, I think in the middle of last year, but we never discussed it before. Uh, three by 3.4 million. Very savvy extension. Projects to be one of their better contracts.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think, oh, last major one, Shane Gossespierre, as we said, left Arizona. Um, won by 4.125 in Detroit. So, defenseman, he's slowly been more and more trusted over his career. Like, he started off as, like, this very offensively tilted guy who was sheltered beyond belief. Mm-hmm. And now he kind of just plays normalish minutes, which is, yeah, dev- good development for him. We'll see how he does outside Carolina, but... You know, we've seen him in Arizona for a bit, and he was actually pretty decent in Arizona, too. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, th- I think he's just a pretty good defenseman. This, was, I think, is a reasonable signing. Uh, there is some optionality here. If Detroit, you know, shits the bed and is clearly out of the playoffs, they can probably trade Shane Gossett's bear at the deadline for coups and picks.
1: Yeah. Although he does have a 10-team no trade, but mm-hmm. we'll assume that he's going to be willing to, to go to a good contender. Yes.
0: Um, so, a lot of additions here, and the Red Wings are, like, clearly better than they were last year. I think Dom Lushishan's model has them as the most improved team. Um, mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that they made a bunch of good decisions.
1: No. Right? And I think I think this is a questionable offseason, very much. And I think
0: this is basically what we said last year. Like, they're trying to build up, and I get that. Like, they're clearly better each season. But they there are just not that many deals on here where I'm like, oh, I'd, I'd love to have that deal on the Leafs. Or, like, I think that's a good deal for, like, a, if you drop that on an average team, that they'd be happy to have that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, like, they've just done a lot of spending in the UFA market, which is just hard to... It's hard to do that consistently and, like, have these guys be, like, the bones of your roster and mm-hmm. be an above-average team. It's just difficult to do unless you have a bunch of ELC stars or you've captured value elsewhere. So, you know, the, they have captured some value, I think, on Dabrinkit and Larkin, especially if Dabrinkit returns to form. But basically, a lot of their team outlook boils down to Lucas Raymond and Moe Sider. Mm-hmm. Um, the comparison that I made to them was, you know, a little bit, they remind me of the Arizona youngsters a few years ago. Keller, Schmaltz, and Strom. Strom is no longer with Arizona. Um, were, I think these guys are going to be above average NHLers. Mm-hmm. And that's mostly just because they've been useful NHL players when they're very young, and that's a good sign. But I really don't see elite player upside for either of them, especially Raymond, whose play driving has been, like, actively bad. And if you look at Raymond's, like, career thus far, which is very young, he has a lot of time to, you know, a lot of runway to improve. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the case for him as a really strong player going forward is basically, like, shooting. Yeah. You know, so, I don't know. I'm a little more bullish on Cider. And, again, neither of these players have had much help. But we've seen, like, really great players kind of transcend circumstances, improve teams more than I think these two have. So we need to start seeing, like, some results soon.
1: Yeah. And, like, it's fine to say that they're better. They are better. But at the same time, it's like, okay, how much better? Mm -hmm. And, and again, if their goaltending really picks up, as with any team, that's a huge difference maker. But, again, this team finished with 80 points. They were behind the Ottawa Senators. They were behind the Buffalo Sabers, by a meaningful amount too—six mm-hmm. um, and eleven points respectively—and both of those teams have serious ambitions of claiming the wild card this year. That I think I find more credible than Detroit. There are a lot of teams ahead of them, and it's like, yeah, you've gotten some some guys who can probably drive you towards, as we said, 18th place, but that's a kind of a lousy place to be and they are getting ever further from the area in the draft where you get huge difference makers difference makers on a regular basis
0: yeah um it must be like they have been unlucky in the fact that they haven't gotten they haven't won a lottery right yeah. they haven't been able to pick up a d'alene or a power to compare to the sabers right yeah. but even independent of that like if you take out <laughs> d'alene and power I might still prefer the Sabres young guys.
1: Oh, the Sabres have a good prospect. pool. I didn't even get to talking about like Yuri Kujicic or, or any of those players um, who might actually be, be difference makers. Now the, the, you know, the Red Wings have a few guys who are well talked about in uh, Marco Casper, who is very well thought of and uh, Simon Edvinson. But yeah, like definitely like they should be getting better. I'm not saying that they're going to miss the playoffs for a billion years. But it's like, is this franchise tracking towards it's going to be a contender in three seasons? I don't see a lot of evidence that it is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Also, Detroit should never get any lottery luck again. After all I had to hear about fucking Datsuk and Zetterberg for my whole goddamn life, <laughs> I hope they lose every draft lottery they're ever in. So,
0: <laughs> Yeah, you guys told me you were so good at finding finding uh, undervalued yeah. draft picks. Go, go do it.
1: Do it, asshole. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not bitter or anything. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, best of luck to them. I have to admit, I there's a natural instinct, I think, in human beings that when someone is talked up to you too much, you start kind of wanting them to screw up, even if you don't really have anything against them. That is my feeling on Steve Eiserman at this point. He's treated like he's a god. And I'm like, I think he's a good GM, but he's made some decisions that I don't think are very good. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah.
0: All right, um, Edmonton Oilers. So the Oilers are a contender. They're going to be a contender as yeah. long as McDavid and Dreisaitl are McDavid and Dreisaitl. They had a few departures, nothing major. Actually, all players that we've mentioned before. Uh, Kyler Yamamoto was a cap dump, uh, traded with Clean Kostin, who I think was a deadline acquisition that they got from St. Louis or something like that. Uh, and then Nick Bukestad uh, had a, was on Arizona, went to Edmonton, and then immediately fucked off to Arizona again. <laughs>
1: He was like, I do not like how cold it is here. Yeah, uh,
0: <laughs> additions and extensions. Connor Brown, one year, four million. So this is listed at seven seventy five k, but he has a three point two two five million dollar bonus at ten games played, which he will likely pass. So this is a prove it deal for a guy coming off a pretty rough injury. The idea behind this basically is that um, the if the orders would not have the cap space to sign Connor Brown outright for one year, four million, mm-hmm. but. Um, because of the way performance bonuses are accounted for in the cap. Assuming Brown gets these performance bonuses, this will just be a bonus overage for next year. So essentially the Sabres have spread out his cap, or not the Sabres, the Oilers, have spread out his cap over two seasons, and cap space next year is a lot less valuable than the cap space this year. So this is a pretty clever trick by them.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to note, if you're wondering why don't teams do this all the time, Uh, The CBA restricts your ability to give these kind of bonuses to players who are over 35 or players who have missed a lot of time recently for injury. So you're seeing it uh, with players like Connor Brown or Max Pacioretty. Yep. Um, Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, but good deal for them, you know. For sure. This is smart. I
0: mean, again, most people listening to this podcast probably are familiar with Connor Brown. He's like a league average winger who's good enough at a lot of things um, to have a lot of positional versatility. Mm-hmm. I always disliked seeing him play with Austin Matthews, um, but that's often due to the fact that the Leafs had like much better options. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if you play him in like a kind of second, third line role, I think he'll be completely fine. And yeah, he can just do a lot of things reasonably well. So I think it's a good signing for them. Edmonton, the name of the game is always just getting competent depth so you can survive while McDavid and Dreisaitl are off the ice. Um, Matthias Janmark, uh, he was re-signed. One year, one million. Competent depth. Uh, Drake Cajula, two years 775K. Incompetent depth, but doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh Derek Ryan, two years nine hundred K. Shockingly good defensive results. Mm-hmm. Um th- this actually stunned me when I when I saw it. <laughs> um, I did not know Derek Ryan had, had that in his in his locker, but apparently he does. Probably the the fourth line center, if he doesn't fall off. Uh they are kind of dependent on him. He played actually like a fair bit last year. Always worries him mm-hmm. about a 36-year-old, but they have some uh you know some center depth. Uh, especially with Ryan McLeod, who they resigned for two years, $2.1 million. More competent depth, presumably the third-line center. Mm-hmm. Um, so the big omission from these items above is Evan Bouchard, who is an RFA. Mm-hmm. And the Oilers do not have the cap space to do anything besides a bridge unless they get rid of other players. So it seems like a bridge is pretty likely, which may cost them more in the long term. And this is basically the downside of some of the questionable deals they've signed, like Darnell Nurse, Evander Kane, Brett Kulak. Um, Evan Bouchard is very good. Great pick from them. I think they picked him at like number 10 overall or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, He looks like he's going to be a stud. And in a league where GMs, frankly, were a little bit more gutsy and willing to go after opposing players, he would be a prime target for an offer sheet. Because you could send him an offer sheet that will be significantly more than Edmonton can pay him and will be clearly worth it for you.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But again, nobody does this anymore. So.
0: Yep. Um, I think the Oilers are basically now just a somewhat competent team in terms of their, their management. They still, like, fuck up sometimes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, the the, the the nurse contract is the obvious example. But they yeah. just make some solid bets now. They do some creative stuff, like this Brown signing. Um, the Ekholm trade was very good. And again, I've said this a few times, they have McDavid and Treisaitl.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah. Oh, the Campbell contract was also terrible. They have hit some real strokes of whether you want to call it luck or skill is, you know, in the eye of the beholder. But having Stuart Skinner emerge to rescue at least the first year of the Campbell deal was big. Uh, Bouchard Mm -hmm. as a pick has been absolutely phenomenal. It's counteracted some of the bad bets they made. They made a really good coaching hire in Jay Woodcroft. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a team that, like, compared to—if you look at the 5-on-5 stats uh, with Tippett as opposed to Woodcroft, there is a big difference And that gives them just a huge buffer for their special teams advantage, which is like their truly bonkers attribute as a team.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, look, throughout the history of this podcast, we've had a lot of fun laughing at the Edmonton Oilers because they were fumbling one of the greatest gifts imaginable, or two of them, if you want to consider McDavid and Dreisaitl, um... They don't really do that anymore. They make, as you said, they've made mistakes. But, like, this is now a legitimately good team that has done some things that make sense. And that should be hoping to win the Stanley Cup this year. They're not the best team in the West, but they're not too far off.
0: Nope. And, I mean, like, they were they were the favorites over uh, Vegas when that series started. Yeah. Right? Like, And, you know, I think it was a pretty even series. For a lot of like, they could have won the cup last year. There's like not that much out oh, in my yeah. mind. They're a, they're a cup quality team.
1: If they beat Vegas, I favor them to beat Florida. Yep. Sure. And Dallas. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and you know, I like, and I'm not saying, you know, for sure that they're better than a lot of these teams, but they're right there. They're like they're a very good team now, and unfortunately, that's something we all have to live with because McDavid is fucking insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's nothing else to do.
0: Yeah. I did want to talk a little bit about Zach Hyman, mm. our much beloved. Um, when Hyman was signed, yeah, when Hyman was signed, I think we both felt he'd be worth it at the front end and not worth mm-hmm. it at the back end. Yeah. But the way he's continued to develop, and of course he is aided by playing with Connor McDavid and playing on the best power play that we've seen in a long time, but he's also a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been so much a worth so much more than his contract value in the early part of it that it has tilted the entire deal to being clearly worth it from the Oilers' perspective, like, almost regardless yeah. of what happens here on out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, good for Zach Hyman. I think he's one of the best player development stories that we've seen in the league in recent years. He he has just worked his way into being a genuine, genuinely great player. So, yeah, good for him.
1: Yeah, I, like, you, you got to admire it. Now, the only thing you want to say is, look, he's 31, he plays really hard. That's part of why he's so great. And the deal goes for five more years. So it's like, I'm not saying that they're out of the woods in any stretch in terms of downside risk. Yeah, but as you say, he's wildly outperformed it so far. Um, and I think there's there's also some evidence. He can straight up drive a line. He doesn't have to too often on Edmonton, but he can absolutely do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, credit to them where it's due.
0: Okay, um, last team for this episode, the Florida Panthers. So Florida got ninety-two points. They just squeaked into the wild card, and they made it all the way to the Stanley Cup final, where they where the Cinderella run ended. But you know, nonetheless, making it to the Stanley Cup <laughs> final is a hell of a season. I think any season that ends in the Stanley Cup final, you kind of have to view it at least to some degree as a, as a success. Certainly, the case yeah. for for a team like Florida. Uh, this is
1: the best season in the history of their franchise, bar none. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, did, didn't they make the finals one year? Like yeah, they rid- got swept.
0: Oh, that's true. Yeah. One game. One one game better. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. Uh-huh.
0: Um. Okay. Departures. Anthony Duclair, who had a year and three million remaining, was traded to San Jose for Stephen Lorenz uh, and a 2025 fifth round pick, basically a cap dump. Uh, Radko Gudis, as we discussed, was uh, assigned in Anaheim to murder some people in the Western Conference for a change. Um. So those are the the big departures the additions Um, Steven Lorenz covered above mediocre depth guy Uh, Rasmus Asplund eh one year 775k Uh, E2 Luostarinen, this is an extension which starts in 2425 Uh, four years 3 million per year solid deal for I think uh, who someone who is currently an average player which with some upside Um, yeah I think nothing nothing major there Uh, Evan Rodriguez four years 3 million another solid deal I don't get why Rodriguez doesn't get more than this I, I, I know Capspace is at a premium this year. Maybe he wanted the chance to play in Florida with very high quality forward linemates.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But, like, he's good. I think he, I just, he's a good player. Yeah, I just think he's good. I think he's done it on enough teams now that, like, we should just think of him as good. Now, you have the same thing as Sprong here, where, like, all these teams have given up on him for whatever reason. Um, but, yeah, yeah. I. I I, I just think Rodriguez is good. And there, there isn't the same issues that, like, Sprong has. With like, oh, he's never trusted by coaches. Rodriguez has played, like, kind of defensively important roles. And, like, you know, in Colorado, because of their injuries, was playing higher up in the lineup, it did well. Yeah. So.
1: Like, I don't know. Maybe I do wonder if the term thing was the issue. Because he is 30. Yeah. But, yeah, I still, like, this is a fine deal. Yeah. Sure.
0: I'm going to point out that I've really wanted the Leafs to keep Evan Rodriguez when they acquired him, if you may remember, they acquired him for like a hot minute in the Kasperi Kapanen deal. I think they acquired his RFA right specifically. And then like maybe didn't even give him a qualifying offer or something like that. I, uh,
1: I forget the the details of it. I think, you know what? He was a UFA and they did offer him a contract, but he decided to take one somewhere else. Oh, okay. So maybe they lowballed him. I don't know what happened. Yeah. But.
0: Anyways. Uh, the important thing to remember is that I was right.
1: <laughs> you got to take those. I told you so as we can get them.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah. The Panthers also signed, like, a trio of—or a quattro of of defensemen, uh, most of whom suck. Uh, Dmitry Kulikov, one-year, one million. Mike Riley, one-year, one million. Riley uh, was kind of Boston's 7th D for a lot of the year. Oliver ekman Larson, one-year, 2.25 million. Kind of total reclamation project here. Um, yeah. Niko Mikola, exception to the one-year defenseman army, uh, three-years, two-and-a-half million. A questionable contract to me that's purely scouting the stat line. I— have not seen a lot of Nikola play, but like his numbers are horrible.
1: Okay. I'm going to be real with you here. Almost everyone we talk about that signs a contract that is at least seven figures, I at least have heard of and have some vague thought about. I do not know who this is. Like straight up, I am. I was not aware that he was playing hockey. And it is not clear to me on what basis he commanded a contract that says I'm a real boy. Like, if this guy signed for, you know, two years at $1 million, that would make a lot more sense to me. And I'm kind of uncomfortable how he came out of nowhere.
0: Yeah, I just sort of assume that he, like, murders people. And, like, that's what that's what justifies this contract. I have no idea.
1: 6-4. Yeah. Yeah, that's pure scouting the stat line. But sometimes 6-4 goes a long way.
0: Right. Um, so, Brandon Montour and Aaron Ekblad both have shoulder injuries. Uh, Montour is likely to be back in time for the regular season. Ekblad is not. So I think Florida just kind of wanted slash needed some guys on defense to stem the tide while they're working their way back from injury or like shaking off the rust. Uh, None of the replacements are great, but, you know, they're not going to kill the team either, I don't think.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But by and large, this is going to be the same team that it was last year. And yeah, Florida was a really interesting team last year. We talked about them during the regular season a fair bit because we found them kind of fascinating.
1: Mm hmm. Very much so. So, and oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, well, I was just going to say, I have a hard time saying where I think they rank in the league hierarchy, but they, I don't think that they're the second best team in the NHL, that's for sure.
0: No, right. I mean, it's very cliche to say when, whenever a team goes on a Cinderella run, you know, it's like, well, yeah. they're somewhere in between their Cinderella run and um, <laughs> and what they were in the regular season. What they were in the regular season was for the most part, a bit of a disappointment, right? This was a team that was coming off a president's trophy win. Um and they seemed during the regular season like they were a good team that was underperforming a bit due to luck. But of yeah. course, a good team is much worse than a president's trophy team. So it was interesting to see like, well, why did they get worse? Right? They had Matthew Kachuk who had, you know, probably one of the best non-McDavid forward seasons last year. Mm-hmm. Right? He was very 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 good. Uh, they have just a phenomenally talented forward Group right, Carter Verhage, Sam Reinhardt, um, Alexander Barkov, Anthony Duclair. Last year, uh, he was injured for a lot of the year, but you know came back. Their forwards are, you know, probably second to none in the league. They have a really strong class of forwards, and it just didn't seem to work out for them for a lot of last year. A lot of it did end up being cluster luck. A lot of it ended up being um, just a slight come down in offensive skills. Right, you could point to losing. Jonathan Huberto, not that he was great in Calgary as we covered, but Huberto was a, a playmaker par excellence. So mm-hmm. th- there was, I don't know, a very interesting team um, last year. They also had bad goaltending, and that goaltending fixed itself come playoff time. Sergey Bobrovsky had a phenomenal first three rounds where he was, you know, at worst, very, very good. And depending on what stats you looked at, absolutely phenomenal.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the open question about this team is, well, what's going to happen with goaltending this year? Because I still don't think we have a lot of confidence in Bobrovsky.
1: Yeah. Um, first of all, the thing that I want to note is, like, it's not like he does this every time he appears in the playoffs. Like, he's a he's been a good goalie in the playoffs more often than not, but he's had some series where he was just garbage. Um, I also want to note... I think because um, the playoffs were really Matthew Kachuk's coming out party to some extent, uh, and people are are viewing him as a big game player who elevates himself for the key games, that's fine and that's fair. He was playing at a Hart Trophy level or close to it through the regular season, and they barely made the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like he was turning a switch there. Um, Also,
0: um, until last season, the knock on Matthew Kachuk, or a knock on Matthew Kachuk is, wow, he's never been good in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, <laughs> which probably tells you something about how we write those narratives. But yeah, like, no one's questioning, he's a superstar. Very, very good player. Um, complete asshole, but very, very good player. Um, yeah, but like, I, I can't quite shake the feeling that this is a good team that got super hot. Yeah, and if Bobrovsky regresses to being kind of meh, I don't think they're guaranteed a playoff spot by any means. I would bet on them to make it more likely than not, but I do not think that they are any kind of sure thing.
0: They needed a huge run from Alex Lyon to get into yeah. the playoffs. And Alex Lyon, by the way, he, he also left this team, but he was deemed not significant enough to have a blurb of, oh yeah, by the way, he left this team. <laughs> right? like,
1: we were not even considering it. Yeah, yeah, like
0: they were you know, in the playoffs by the thinnest of margins. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they did play well in the playoffs, right? I think yeah. probably the— and that's not
1: nothing. But yeah, yeah. The
0: series scores against Toronto and Carolina probably flatter them to some degree, but that's always the case when you sweep or go 4-1 on a team, right? It's like yeah. <laughs> most of the time, you know, when you replay that series, that doesn't happen just because it's unlikely to win four games in a row or four games out of five against good teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they deserve credit for that, right? Like, they, they played yeah. those teams well. So, as for what that means for them this year, I don't know, Really? Mm-hmm. I think they're clearly a good team. I like I said like you, I don't think they're the second best team in the league. Um and I think they have a ton of variance around them where like you could tell me that yeah. they win the President's Trophy and I would be like a little surprised but not like completely stunned and you could tell me that they finish out of the playoffs and I would be you know not that surprised at all because there's a very easy Bobrovsky implodes path to that happening.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, Everyone in the Atlantic Division, except for Montreal, has a case that they're at least competing for a playoff spot. And several of them have a case that they're very good. But none of them are like a lead pipe cinch for anything. There are flaws all up and down the roster. So, yeah, like they have a path to first in the division. They have a path to sixth in the division. (laughs) Um yeah, if you if you put a gun to my head and say whether they finish, I think they end up in the two three bracket, and then we see if their playoff magic repeats itself. But i I think that there was certainly a little bit of uh, of good fortune going on in that run for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, so I think that'll wrap it up for our first of three episodes. We made it in at a timely two hours and thirty minutes.
1: <laughs> a very tight 230 yeah, yeah. No,
0: nothing could have been cut no. from this
1: no well no the Colorado Avalanche could have been oh, cut that, from this and they were that's true actually we had a whole segment but we just decided not to if so. it, if we
0: added this it was, this would literally be like the length of Oppenheimer <laughs> um, oh yeah but yeah we, we'll get them on the next one yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah we'll do uh, another 10 or 12 or so teams including Col- we should actually just like not do Colorado we should just leave them for the end
1: as a bit yeah yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, Who knows? <laughs> yeah. So thank you all for listening. You can catch all of mine and Foodman's work on PangeaPlanetpuppets.com. You can follow us on uh Twitter at RV and AT Uh th- that outro has like hung on longer than I expected. That-, that that Twitter is still around.
1: Yeah. Um yeah. Actually we should say you can only find our archival work at pendant. Yeah, that's true. And you can follow us on X. Yes. Um oh even saying it I feel awful. <laughs> I don't like it at
0: all. It's such a bad name. Uh, anyways, um, yeah. yeah. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you soon.